The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. of British Columbia to you listening around the world. This is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. They let us play with all our toys. They let us think that we're big boys. They let us make a lot of noise for women with the world. They let us think we're Superman. You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. On Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? Uh, Dad, you gotta stop haunting the goats. It's scaring them. All right, seriously, put down the pointy sticks. Okay! Game on! Game on! Game on! Word is. Alright, alright, alright. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Seriously, Dave? Really? Aren't you a little old for a tinfoil hat? I am. Toby. Bye-bye. 
Good evening and welcome to Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for the ride on this Wednesday, March 29th. Thursday, March 30th, if you're on the East Coast, hope you had a great day. We are live right here in Uncle Jimbo's cabin, right here in the Great White North, seven days a week. Let's welcome in everyone listening in on WQEE 99 Rock the Key at noon in Georgia at spacedoutradio.com. On Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. If you like our music, you can thank Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal. He is the official music man of this show. If you're on social media, make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. You can follow me on Instagram, Dave Scott SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and on Stitcher. And of course, our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. And if you head on over to Patreon.com, you can become a Spaced Out Radio patron for as low as one buck a month. Check that out today. If you head to our website, you can. Join the SOR Space Travelers Club. It's five bucks a month. We offer some great swag to our space travelers who have signed up. We also have a brand new news section called The Encounter Online, put together by Eric Markham and Everett Themer. They are starting to rack out the stories with their team. You can check out my latest blog there as well. And if you've had an experience you can't explain, I want you to fill out an SOR Sightlines report. Our researcher, Mike Schmidt, is ready to find out what's going on. We welcome in our terrestrial stations, 99. Rock the Key, WQEE, down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of the Walking Dead. We are also live on the United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you along with us. We love being live in Sin City, Renegade Talk Radio in Las Vegas. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Almost two weeks ago, we had Ken Johnson on, former NASA employee and whistleblower on the secrets of the moon, as he learned from being a part of the Apollo program. Tonight, the man who is helping him solve these mysteries is on the air with us as brett shepherd an artist by trade has always had an affinity for the moon though and what could be hiding on the big white rock that circles our planet daily brett's research and studious fascination with the moon began as a teenager and it led him to starting the lunar anomaly research society which takes pictures of the moon and analyzes them for odd happenings and potential structures that just don't look very natural in the scenery the rabbit's hole has led Brett down by chance to meeting Ken Johnson, the former Apollo employee. The two have now been working together ever since in deciphering what NASA and the rest of the government is hiding on the moon. We are also joined by Eric Markham from The Encounter Online. Eric and Brett, welcome to Spaced Out Radio tonight. How are you guys doing? Doing fine. Doing great. Thank you. Doing great. 
Thank you, Brett. Eric, I'm going to get you to mute your microphone because you are getting some background noise off of you. Thank you so much. Brett, it's so much a pleasure to have you on so close after we had Ken on the show. And I know you listened to that show. And I have to tell you, I had been trying to track down Ken for a couple of years. So to actually get him on the show and follow it up by you, I'm going to tell you, man, I'm geeking out a little bit over this whole space Uh thing. I really am, yeah. because, because the knowledge that you guys have been able to come up with and share in regards to ufology, what NASA is hiding, what the U.S. government is hiding, when you look back, let's go back 20, 30 years ago, maybe even 40 if you're that old, did you ever think that you would be where you are today with the research that you have in hand? I actually had no idea. No idea. So what led you to this? Well, um, it, back in, in 1982, we'll go all the way back there, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not who I am today. I'm a 15-year-old kid in an art class, you know. Um, basically, what happened was um, I was in my art class, and my, my art instructor said that we have a guest speaker and that she would like to speak to the, the a couple of the best artists in the class to look at some images. So I stayed after class, and this lady introduced herself as Zamina. Um, my art teacher couldn't pronounce her name, so he said Nagzima. You know, I, I remember that very clearly. Um, she showed me, um, she said she was from Stanford Research Institute, and she wanted to, uh, to know what we think of these images. So she, she proceeded to show me and, and Chris Heineck, Heineck, uh, Heinken, sorry. Um, these these images. Um, he had to go because his brother came and said his, his ride was here, so he had to go. He saw a couple of them, you know. Um, she proceeded to show me these these images, and mind you, this is at the end of the day. It's the last class of the day, and um, the bell had rung, you know. So everybody's gone. This lady, I'm sitting here with this lady in the dark, looking at these images. She proceeds to show me. Um, various images that were done apparently by um, different artists. Of course, I come to find out later that that's really not the case. You know, these were Lunar and Mars images. And some of these images hadn't even been taken yet by any spacecraft. You know, especially the Mars Orbiter camera ones. Um, they, they were taken in 19, uh, around 1997, 98, and they weren't released to the public till 2001. So the first image she showed me was a Mars Orbiter camera image, um, come to find out later. Um, that These images, um, I had no idea that I would ever remember any of this stuff, you know. Um, but I started seeing these exact same images, because I have a photographic memory, within the, the lunar and Mars images that NASA was putting out. So they, these images were about perception. This was some kind of experiment that they were doing with the CIA um, uh, on behalf of the CIA or somebody. Um, I have a feeling it was during the time of Ingo Swan, and, and they were doing a lot of perception experiments. Um, there was a guy um, by, by the name of Tunic um, who had shown Ingo Swan about six um, real, uh, uh, what do you call them, those carousels of slides. And um, these were part of that 
experiment. And these were the slides that were actually shown to me. I have never seen them again, ever, in the public. So these, these slides were literally of, since I'm the only one in the world that's done this, of my own artwork 40 years later. If you can wrap your head around that perceptually. So these people know that there is a timeline, and they know exactly where I'm supposed to be on that timeline. It's the weirdest thing, you know, to experience. It's like living a deja vu. It's like, oh, I've seen that before, you know, type of thing. So, you know, I'm looking at these, these lunar images or whatever in my class in 1982, um, they're, they're colorized exactly the way I do them, you know, to show, try to show people what I'm seeing perceptually. You know, so I know they're my images. Um, and I got the creepy feeling, even back then, that they looked so familiar, like um, on, a, on a subconscious level. It was very strange. But, yeah, this, this lady's name was Zamina Zarita. You could hardly scrape that out of your head because it's such an unusual name. You know, um... I called her, actually, and she still um, is employed, uh, works for Stanford University, and I called her, and she said she doesn't recall any of these events. I called my art instructor, who also said, I do not recall. Like robots, seriously. You know, like they're in court. It's like, it's, um, you're not on trial here. It's just, I, I would just like to know personally um, that that happened because I remember it vividly. You know, so so these, the, these were the things that led me um, into this journey of perception with these space images. And I, I, I developed, you know, um, the Lunar Anomaly Research Society on Facebook to um, try and flesh this out, to try and discover, you know, what was going on with these space images. I was more interested in actually and the anomaly of the process of the making of these images than I was trying to find something uh, anomalous in them, like subject matter. So I, I was looking at the process, and I found that, that Chesley Bonestell had developed, you know, he was working for Disney, had developed a process of putting acetate over another image and another image or whatever to create um, a new image. And this is exactly, I got confirmation on that from Donna Hare later on. And she's, she said that's exactly what they did. They put acetate over it. Um, they, they, they did their, um, literally used um, airbrushes or paintbrushes to um, um, brush out whatever they didn't like in there, you know, what was ever unappealing or to blacken out the background of these images. So to her, she said it was literally... Um, to make the, the pictures look better on postcards or something. That's what she was thinking at the time. But now she knows that they were actually painting out um, structures or different things that, that may um, have a, um, a negative perception to NASA, you know, that, because they're, they're, not, they're not trying to find life in the universe. They're not, they're not trying to show the public life. And they, through the CIA and the... The DIA, you know, the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, which is the kind of the wing, you know, that, that is resp the, the watchdogs that are responsible for swaying public perception and all that. And you guys might make think of those as debunkers. 
because that's what they are, you know. Um, the 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 CIA, however, they were interested um, in doing these perception experiments for NASA because they they wanted, um, you know, through the Brookings report and all that, um, all those issues, you know, of whether the public could handle, you know, um, uh, extraterrestrial life out there or something like that. Um, they they did this report and found that that these um, these anomalies or these things that, that could be perceived as life or structures or something, ruins even on the moon or Mars or anything like that, were no on that. They were not going to have the public thinking anything like that. Um, they invented words like pareidolia for, um, for the face on Mars. Uh, Richard Hoagland was pointing that out. You know, um, they, these, these words were deliberately um, invented to basically um, a, as a derogatory term for people that see things in space images. So they went on a deep psychological level to persuade the masses, you know, um, that, that there is no life out there. They, they went to extremes, and they, they spent billions of dollars on the space program, trillions even, um, as far as I know. Um, the, I have seen with my own eyes some of the things that they spent that trillion dollars on, and it wasn't rockets. You know, I, I've seen the actual craft that were flying around. Um, I, I don't assume that those are ET craft or something like that. Um, but I was driving along Highway 10 one night, and there it was, this big giant craft that came swooping down in front of my car. I was going 70 miles per hour, and this thing was following right in front of me. And it, it, it wasn't a light or a beam or anything else. It was an object. It was a big object. You know, this was a big dark ship, um, very complex looking, really. You know, it, it wasn't the, the simple 50s-style UFOs, you know, um, that you see in the, in the movies, you know, the, like, like um, the Earth, day the Earth stood still or something. The, the, this was black, and it, was, it had one light on it, and it was really creepy, you know. And I, I didn't really get a creepy feeling from it, but I'm looking at it going, Wow, this is kind of shocking because it, it was making no noise whatsoever and swimming around in the air like a fish, okay? And it, it, it kind of hovered over this building. So I, I, had, I had observed this thing for, you know, a good 20 minutes, you know, as I was driving down the road. And it, it went from the front of my car to a building um, not too far from the border of New Mexico into Arizona. And, and it went over um, the, this area. Um, a thing came out of it and went back in. It was, it was very strange. And then it, it, then it kind of twisted a little bit and um, flew right over my car into the mountains, like really quick, and attached, you know, like magnets to the other ones. And this whole giant big ship I could see in the, in the, the twilight of the, the night sky um, moving over the mountains. And it wasn't a cloud. You know, this was a big craft of some kind. So, you know, maybe there's something to the secret space stuff. That's what I'm thinking. Right. Now, as far, yeah, as, far as these images go, you know, they're very strange. Um, the, the, lunar, the lunar images um, seem to be laden with puzzle pictures. And it's, it's like obfuscated art that's really good. It's almost a classical style. These puzzles are... Um, used for texturing over uh, correct lunar topography. 
Now, if you guys have ever seen, like, the actual lunar data that comes back, it's real crappy. It's, like, really digitized and really pixelated and kind of weak. It's really low res in actuality. So, so these images need to be boosted up with textures and, you know, CGI and all kinds of garbage. So the, these puzzles are used um, for the texturing, and um, it, to me, would indicate um, that it was done on purpose to hide whatever's, um, whatever lunar orbiter actually captured or one of these orbiter cameras on Mars, um, perhaps large structures seen by Bill Tompkins or Carl Wolf or something like that. Um, the artwork is extremely dimensional, and it would take years for most people to train their eyes to see it. It's, um, you're looking at a two-dimensional perception of three-dimensional topography, if that can be explained right. Um, it, it seems not done by humans, but rather an extraterrestrial source, you know, um, possibly where we get our computer technology or something like that. And rarely have I ever seen art that, that really compares on Earth. Um, I, I've, I've, seen a, uh, I've caught them with a couple of images um, on the, the Mars orbiter camera um, of a, a stock image of, of um, like, uh, NASCARs, you know, um, that were embedded in the image. And I could tell that they, they literally obfuscated that image that I found, you know, so that it's one example of that. Um, and that really got me thinking, um, conceptually or theoretically, during the digitization process of the space images, um, there may be a randomization from a huge database of images from our human history stories and folklore that is somehow reassembled from a computer-generated morphogenic-type AI or a big storage thing. Um, if our technology came from ET, this would explain a lot. I would add that uh, dimensional natural sunlight may be the culprit in, re in the reassembling process because it, it has to do with dimensions and light. Um, and the final image is presented in a very unusual um, and creative way. I think NASA uses this as added CGI texture today, not necessarily with the intentional outcome. A well-known NASA artist told me once that during the process, detailed texture, extra pixels are added, and that um, could be why I see more in them artistically, you know, as an artist, um, and that it's all my imagination. Regardless of the interpretation, the fact still remains I am seeing them. And the perception I have of these things, uh, I, I could literally name the people that I am seeing within the image from history. I could, I could name Theseus and, and Zeus and Daedalus and Icarus and, you know, it goes on and on. So these things are incredibly themed, and I'm, in this one image that I'm talking about, it's 1197 underscore MED, it's from Lunar Orbiter 1, and this image has things all through it, embedded all through it, just like I'm talking about, um, and it even has the themed um, embedded imagery on the inverse of the image. So if you take the image and inverse it, um, you know, kind of like that old Outer Limits thing or, you know, whatever the, the promo they had when they inverted the trees, kind of like that. And what I'm seeing is very themed things throughout the image um, that have to do with our human history. Um, and most of it is, is on, on the religious perception um, thing. You know, it's, uh, it, it's 
wars we fought, religions, different things like that, um, some of our very, very old um, pantheons that nobody knows about. And some of these are from Illyria, Dacia, um, Scythia. So the, these all very old pantheons that are pre-Greek, if you might, if I might say. Right. So, yeah. So, so they're actually wearing, you know, cold weather garb, you know, and things like that within the images. So it's um, it's one of those things where I I believe that it's some kind of. Uh, uh, massive amount of data images or whatever that are that they've used to put together as textures now another interesting thing is in the old way that they used to do it with the airbrush and use a cadre of artists to paint all of this stuff out i i think the artists themselves were were subconsciously creating art on these images you know on the acetate before they would refilm the images for the public um, so there, there's there's aspects to that, that that lead me to believe that maybe that's some of it, but it's a complexity, you know. Um, the CGI that they can do today with the computers would suggest that they take a whole pile of different um, images from Pinocchio to Dumbo to whatever, you know. They take all kinds of images of from our folklore history, um, uh, old artwork. It's in the style of like old Greek artwork, you know. It's real weird. It's um, it's like uh, um, that image of the rape of Persephone, you know. That that's real kind of scattery, um, impressionistic, that sort of thing. But some of the the faces that I'm seeing, you know, aside from the impressionistic type art, are very photorealistic. And these are yes, I'm talking about our lunar images. You know, this is buried in there. And we're going to get heavily into that tonight, Brett. And I think oh, you've given us a very good warm-up on what we can expect tonight. I want to bring it back, though, just a little bit, because I think it's important for our audience to know how you and Ken got together and started researching, because what he brings to your research is absolutely invaluable. Absolutely. And um, it, it, what happened was, is I was hitting a wall with these images um, because I, what I needed to see, because I was interested in the process, was a control image, you know, so, something that was like first generation or something like that, um, that I could compare to the images that are online. And I almost gave up. I almost said, you know what, I'm done with this lunar garbage, you know. I'm done. It's consuming my life. I just, you know, because I... I mean, I, I, I'm like a super anomalist. I, I was in there getting all of the anomalies out of them. And, you know, um, basically the reason why I was doing that was, was to eliminate them from what I was seeing in the image that I remembered when I was 15 years old. You know, so that's what I was doing. And I was hitting a wall because I, I needed a control image. And the first image I got was actually from Donna Hare. And she had, um, I will tell this right, she had gotten it out of the Dempsey dumpster um, as part of her portfolio and was allowed to keep that as part of a portfolio. So she had a few, you know, um, mostly um, Apollo 12 images, you know, from Pete Conrad and Alan Bean. Um, this, this particular image shows the uh, limb and, and um, a satellite dish on the horizon of the moon. 
and, and there's Surveyor in the foreground and Alan Bean posing next to Surveyor. And uh, I believe Pete Conrad was taking the picture. So um, basically this, what this image showed me was it was very clear, much clearer than the NASA image that they put online. I mean, wicked clear, you know. It was like, wow, that is a picture. So uh, here's this satellite dish in the background, you know, um, that they couldn't possibly fit in the limb. Very interesting. So that, that was the first one I, I, I saw. Um, I started digging into this image um, as far as the process and how um, if there were things in the background or whatever, and I started seeing big, uh, large um, uh, metal objects in the background. And I looked closer, and I actually saw this, um, what, what looked like an antenna with a dish on the bottom, and there were wires from the antenna down to the dish. That's how clear this image was in the background. And shortly after that, I, I started talking to Ken Johnston, because I knew he had some, some of uh, NASA, NASA's images from what he collected. And um, I, I was directed there by Amy Evans, who showed me a Mars Orbiter camera image, and it triggered me, you know. She, she showed me this image, and it was the first image that that lady showed me from Stanford Research Institute when I was 15. Amy Evans was friends with Dr., uh, at the time, Dr. Ken Johnston. We don't call him doctor no more because you know why. But... Um, Basically, he had a, a, a doctorate, metaphysical uh, doctorate or whatever from this, this college, and, and he found out that it was really bogus, you know, back then in Texas. They were doing the chamois stuff or whatever with, um, you know, degrees and all that. So anyway, he doesn't call himself doctor anymore. I'd just like to say that. And, and Donna Hare does not have a bunch of images, like Ken said, okay? She's got a small portfolio as a photographer of images. So anyway, um, Ken showed me, I mean, he started um, uploading all of these images for me to look at. And I was like, whoa, you know? This isn't just like one control image. This is a whole series of images that I can compare with the NASA images that are online. Um, so I, I proceeded to do that. I was looking in them and everything, and Ken does not look at these images like an artist. You know, he's not going to try to pick out anomalies or anything, though he thinks they are interesting. He's really not doing that, you know. Um, he's found a couple of them. Even his wife, Fran, had found one in the visor, you know, quite a, quite a while back in 1996 when, when he was doing the National Press Club stuff with Richard Hoagland and all that. So anyway... Um, I was in Texarkana, and I was looking at all of these images, and, and uh, it, I was absolutely blown away. I was I actually kind of freaked out, you know. I, I saved all of these images on a disc. I actually gave them to a friend in case someone came and killed me or something, you know. I mean, I was kind of paranoid about this. Because these, these images are extraordinary. They're, these are not typical anything. So Ken asked me... Um, to help him write, his, you know, help him with his autobiography to get that online and um, get that out to the world, his story, you know. And 
it was sort of hard to do because I was over in Texarkana, Texas, and, well, my house was falling apart, and I told him, my house is falling apart. I don't know how much I can do for you or whatever. Um, so he decided to come get us, you know, and take us to Belen, New Mexico. And we've, we've been here ever since. Um, Ken's been like a father to me, you know. Uh, my, my father passed away a little while back, and it was never really in my life or anything like that. Ken has been a very positive male role model, you know, as far as that goes. And he helped us. Um, he helped us get set up in Berlin. And, and um, Karen Christine Patrick, his editor, was um, really busting it to get his autobiography out, you know. Um, that it was not complete, you know. That, so uh, we, we did a, a lot of interviews with Ken to, to get the thing complete, now, the thing was, is there was a couple of issues with, with it, um, with his story. He didn't know at the time what, um, what mission he saw the, that 16-millimeter film. And so one of the things that I decided to do was to investigate his story thoroughly, you know. So um, anyway, I started getting attacked by James Oberg and everything else for even attempting this. So I, um, what I found was uh, James Oberg said that he, they never flew over Tsiolkovsky Crater. And semantically, he's right. The command service module never really flew over Tsiolkovsky Crater, near it or whatever, but never f really filmed it except for the 70. Then I found a 70-millimeter shot of Tsiolkovsky Crater showing the exact sun angle that Ken was talking about from memory. And then I found out that there, was a six, there were two 16-millimeter cameras in the lunar module and one in the command module. The one in the command module was sort of pointed down and going really fast, sketching across the lunar surface, and it looks just exactly like that, like it's sketching over the lunar surface and, and grabbing some film. This is the one that Oberg showed Ken at one of the conferences. And that really got me thinking, what did Edgar Mitchell film in the lunar module? So, um, first of all, you know, to go back just a, a, a little bit, um, I, I had to figure out when Ken was there. And it was 1971 um, when Apollo 14 was just getting done and wrapping things up in the Lunar Receiving Laboratory. So in the, in the, I looked up the Apollo 14 onboard voice transcription because they, they say everything in those, you know, even when they went to the bathroom. They say everything. So I, I, I looked that up. And I scoured this data, you know, and what I found was um, that basically right inside this, uh, this transcript on, let's see, it's um, on the third day, it was uh, around 2.29 p.m. and 26 seconds. That's how detailed this is. Um, the data acquisition camera, the 16-millimeter, um, uh, Edgar Mitchell said, I'm going to see, I'm going to see that uh, I'm all set up for this acquisition. Uh, that, that doesn't mean um, anything else but a camera. And then it says minus 39 plus 325, those are settings. He said, okay, high gain, manual, and wide. Those are camera settings. So he said they, they were um, 
a bit away from their target, which was uh, Lamarck Crater, um, Lemmick Crater. Um, okay, so anyway, the uh, Alan Shepard said it looks good through the sextant, and um, Stuart Russo said what? And Alan Shepard said looks good through the sextant. And Alan Shepard, uh, I'm sorry, Stuart Russo said, well, I think it's got a reddish tint to it out the window. This was sort of when the lunar module and the command module were in orbit together um, before they were going to connect. You know, so they were both flying around this area. He said, I've, uh, it, it's got a reddish tint to it out the window, sort of like, you know, southwest desert, you know, uh, red hasn't been mentioned before. Do you see Tchaikovsky over there? And at, at, on the third day at 2.30 p.m. and 23 seconds, Edgar Mitchell said, oh, sure, that's Tchaikovsky. Okay, I've got it. Yes, that mother is black out there, isn't it? And flat. And there are uh, really a lot of color differences than I expected. So he's still filming with the 16-millimeter camera all the way to Lemmark Crater. So they're, they're shooting Tchaikovsky and everything else. So... Basically, Edgar Mitchell had a handheld 16-millimeter data acquisition camera that he used for this. Guess what? He kept it, and he tried to sell it at, um, at, at um, Bowman's uh, auction in New York or something, and it, it, was, it was to go for $60,000 to $80,000. Well, NASA got pissed off and, they, you know, and petty, and they, they said, well, we want it back you know, or give it to a museum. And Edgar Mitchell's response was, that, boy, that's petty. I didn't think that they cared about things like that anymore. That's what he said to them. Um, so it, it, it kind of gave me the impression that Edgar Mitchell kept that camera that was supposed to be smashed on the lunar surface with the, the lunar module on purpose, you know, as a clue. Because I believe that, uh, believe, I know that he took the actual footage that can show Dr. Thornton Page. I know that for a fact. And Brett, this is Eric. Um, I was always sure. puzzled by Edgar Mitchell when asked about what it was like to be on the moon would tell people, I right. don't remember. Right. I, well, he, he think he might have been... He absolutely, like all the rest of the astronauts, were not allowed to say anything about it. It's really as simple as that. Well, what leverage does NASA have over them? I mean, you um, know, Gordon Cooper talked openly about UFOs and his UFO experience. Well, it's not exactly NASA. NASA is a front organization for many different military organizations, as you know, the DIA, CIA, all of them. And the, the Defense Intelligence Agency is probably responsible for the, you know, don't tell or else policies. Oh, so it's not just a matter of uh, government agencies saying, you open your mouth, we take away your pension. It goes Oh, much, no, no, much they'll, they'll take away that. your whole family. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, none of these... Hardball, yeah. None of these guys have actually done a deathbed confession type thing, right? As far as... Um, it, like Sh- Shepard and, and Cooper and, you know, we've yeah, lost some so many. Them, so, some of them have actually come out and talked a little bit about it. Um, um, one of them was Scott Carpenter who said that there was uh, at no time were, were, were they not being surveyed by UFOs all the way to the moon and back. 
And then he actually took a picture of it, and he said, NASA has yet to release that image that I took. Now, you think- here's Oberg that, that goes, um, he, he, he attributes that to Venus, you know, that all the astronauts were seeing Venus out the window. Oh, come on. <laughs> these All the guys way to the moon back, okay. Yeah, these guys are trained in astro, you know, literally astro navigation using a sextant, and they're not going to know what Venus is. Right, they know what Venus is, exactly. Right. <laughs> it sounds like, a little bit. You know, just, just like India should have known that Ken was not an astronaut. Jeez. You know what I mean. It's, a, it's just come on, you know, people. It's like yeah, the the way they it seems like they're almost ridiculous in going out of their way to make these people look wrong, or you right. know to destroy the their credibility. And I don't know how you could talk to some somebody like uh, you know Shepard or you know these astronauts, these people that have been where no one on this planet's been. And right. try to make them look like idiots. I'm right. sure well, you've I've, got some stories about uh, Ken, Ken going through this, you know, being debunked. Oh, you know, it's really, really sissy garbage, you know, that's going on with Ken. I, these, these guys are cowards. They, they won't get to the real issue. They'll, they'll pick on how he spelled something or, you know, pick on some kind of title he, 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 people gave him, you know. So it's 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 really you know it's hard for me to to fathom, other than the fact that these guys are getting paid by some organization, you know, or you know making sure that they're making a living doing it. You know, so either way, they're that's what they do, and this has depart uh, the the Defense Intelligence Agency written all over it. That's what these guys do. You know, I was in the Army. I know what they do. I know why they do it, you know. Um, mostly, as far as NASA goes and, and anything that's space-related, they, they are literally not allowed to even give us a clue that there's life out there. And this is for religious and economic reasons. The whole space agency um, was, was entirely fuel-based because you know, they couldn't show what they really had. They had reverse gravitics and everything else. So, yes, at no time were they not being helped to the moon and back in these spaceships, you know, that, that were fuel-based rockets. And they had to show the world that, hey, petroleum is still what's behind the money system. So, you know, that's exactly what they did. Well, if and it would have come out that they had reverse gravitics all this time, can you imagine oh, what man. the families of the shuttles that were lost because... Right. You know, the Challenger and, you know, specifically being, you know, blowing up on the way into orbit. Right. I was supposed to be on that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the, that was actually the, um, the mission that, that he was signing up to do, you know, that, that Armstrong said, hey, I, I vouch for this guy. You should let him go and stuff. I'm glad he didn't go because he, he would be totally freaking dead by now, you know. I mean, that, that thing, um, you know, Reagan, and you, you remember, you know, I mean, that thing blew up. And oh, that's back when they, they still, that's back when they still televised, it was still big news, and I was watching the live launch. 
right. and was so happy that I was actually home to see. You know, I wasn't at work. I, w- I was actually in a position to see a launch. Right. And when it when that happened, it was... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I can because of some of his engineering expertise with the, you know, the shuttle work that he did you know he he was um he was he was testing the um the these the buck rogers suit you know that you fly around the, the shuttle with and and where that where they can patch up you know the the tiles on the shuttle and all that with the peanut butter stuff um it, he, he has a very deep knowledge of the engineering behind that and he feels that the bolts that they used you know for the shuttle um there was something about them. He, he said there was some kind of sabotage on that mission. He can't really put his finger on it, you know? And I believe it. I believe there was some kind of some kind of fishy stuff going on with that. I mean, yes, if you... If, you know, the, the our, our secret government is that dark. They will do that for public uh, impressions and all that. There are some out there who say that the seven astronauts from Challenger actually survived. Yes, there are some that say that, they, and they show pictures of them in Guatemala and stuff. I've seen that. Um, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it if all the people were alive that were supposedly to crash into the Twin Towers. You know, really. Got a question here from our chat room on Spreaker. Trip is asking, did you ever ask Ken or talk to anybody about the apparent music they heard when they were flying past the dark side of the moon? Oh, yeah. I, I remember talking to Ken about that a lot. Um, uh, this was, I, I believe this was Apollo 8 or 10. And they were they were coming around the the backside of the moon. I think it was Apollo eight. And you know they uh, they heard this strange music coming over their their radios. You know, and and it was um, they they were not connected. The radio wasn't connected to um, mission control or anything. You know, it, it was this eerie whistling kind of um, strange music, just like you would hear, you know, from the rings of Saturn or something. And they, they never really understood, you know, what, what that was or anything. Yet, to me, it's sort of odd, because that was the same mission where they said, you know, um, there is a Santa Claus and all that, right? And they're looking down at, at the other side of the moon, the far side, and who knows what they've seen, like big giant building structures or whatever. So over the intercom, they're, they're saying, hey, there's music. But I believe that these astronauts really tried to give clues as to what they were seeing. They almost couldn't help it. Well, like recently, there's been a lot of uh, leakage of supposed UFOs being shot from the space station. Do you think that this is a deliberate attempt on NASA's behalf to try to open the door a little bit? Um, Yes, from what I understand, they're trying to leak things out into the alternative media because because they can't just shock people with, with, 
you know, they lied all these years about their technology and everything else. And, um, you know, we, uh, how many people, like you said, died because of it? How many wars have been because of it? So they can't just deliberately, you know, uh, hey, by the way, there's, we've been working with the extraterrestrials this whole time for 40 decades or four decades and, and, um, it's been exactly as dark as you think. Um, we've traded biological material, you know, for technology and all of this stuff. They, they can't just come out and say it. They're doing it through alternative media, you know, starting, starting, I believe, with William Tompkins. It almost feels like the same forces. I remember when the Berlin Wall fell and how... There. Well, how there. things built up to a point, and right. then they weren't stoppable. And I almost feel like at this point in our history, the same thing is happening with disclosure. I, I think there's enough leaks, there's enough things happening that eventually there's not going to be a way to stop it. What do you think on that? I, I, I know that's exactly right. Uh, I've got a lot of friends that, you know, that are coming to me from the secret space program. These guys are actually working with this spooky stuff that everyone's talking about. Um, and one of them is Vance Davis, who they said was some kind of Ouija board Satan guy or whatever that was chasing UFOs over in um, Gulf Breeze, you know, that he had went AWOL from the Army. It was, it was around the time when I was over in Germany. And he was, he was actually a communication specialist, you know, talking to the Russians on the other side of the wall. Um, this, this guy, okay, comes up to me at the Scottsdale UFO conference and tells me that he was, he's one of the guys that work on the relay dishes on the moon that they used to talk to aliens with. Literally. So that, it's almost like uh, they... They said Tesla was crazy because he thought he was communicating with extraterrestrials, and it looks like uh, he was right the whole time. They've been out there watching all, since, what, turn of the century? Turn yeah. of the last century? When yeah, we became exactly interesting right. and could blow each other up? Right, yeah. There, there's, there, there's a whole morphogenic field out there of information, you know, that, that's just kind of flying around, and we get it through our subconscious. We get it through... Um, like I said, these puzzle pictures that, that are in just about any image with any um, sunlight in it, you know, because we're talking about multiple dimensions of information that are being shown. Um, for instance, you know, if you think of the, the sun as a projector and you think of the moon as a screen, and you can imagine what the, you know, the ancients saw when they looked up at the moon. They had this, this hierophany. And they were they were seeing the moon shadows and light dance on the on rocks and things, you know, and and they were seeing this hierophany in the rocks. And they was they they were like you know for instance they they'd see a, a deer or something come and get a get a drink of water on the stream and the deer rears up because it sees them or whatever and just kind of stands on its hind legs you know and it's got them giant antlers and everything uh, and they perceive that as some kind of god. You know, so just for example, perception plays an incredible role in human history and also our perception today. And when we look at these things um, that, that are touched by sunlight, you know, like a, like a camera image of the moon or Mars or something like that, they, they tell on themselves no matter how much they, they try to digitize and, and scrub out anomalies and all of this stuff, the 
subconscious data that's in these images, you know, which to an artist, they can look at this and it's perfectly clear to them. That's a face, okay? You know, these, these are faces of people. It's very themed. Um, it, is, it is more of a, a hierophany. Um, it's um, more along the lines of that than some kind of pareidolia, which is, you know, a meditating retard sitting in the grass or whatever looking at the clouds saying, I see a doggy. You know what I mean? That's pareidolia. That, that, that's the thing that they use um, a, as a derogatory term for what we're doing, for anomalous and artists and all. But yet, you know, it, um, what, artists see things, like Ken said, in a very different way. Um, we, we, very right-brained um, thinking, very lofty, that sort of thing. But the perception-wise, we see things intrinsically that other people really don't get right away. But nonetheless, we do see them. And after a while, people, other people see them too because we're pointing them out. We're saying, hey, look at that, you know. Isn't that weird? So, you know, that, that, that's what's really going on here is, is a deep perception thing that is going on on purpose. Um, the, these subcontractors, the CIA is, is subcontracting to Stanford Research Institute to look deeply into public perception issues as far as these images go in our space, um, hiding the fact that there is life out there and that they've been working with them. They've got, oh, they've got incredible technology. It's not exactly all that people think it is, but it's still at least 50 years ahead of us. What do you think the biggest reason is that we haven't gone back to the moon in your research? And now with the shuttle program obsolete, there really right. is no real way to get there besides the Russians or to start spending billions again on developing rockets that can get through into that area. And I'll let you answer that. we got about 90 seconds before we go to break. Okay, good. Um, well, the, uh, from what they, they heard at... Um, what Ken heard at TRW while he was there was the same thing that, that um, William Tompkins stated, that there was a line of communication that wasn't public and that they heard everything and they, they, that they were literally told that they're not ready and don't come back after Apollo 17. Now, th this was when Apollo 17 was on its way back, and they said, you're not ready. And what they really mean by that is we're not looking at Earth as a living being, like we're part of one. Um, extraterrestrials will look at Earth and say, you're all the same ant farm, you're all one. You're all, your bodies are part of Earth, you're all one. You belong to the Earth. Now, when, when they mean you're not ready, we're still warfaring, we're still fighting with each other, we still suspect one another. We, you know, all of these little issues that, that we haven't outgrown yet, so it's a very deep thing when they say that we're not ready. It doesn't mean we're not ready because we don't have the technology. Right, right. And on that note, I'm going to get you guys to hold on as yes. we are as we are talking with Brent Colin or Brett Colin Shepard tonight on Space Out Radio. We are talking moon anomalies, Mars anomalies, the photos. 
and the descriptions that he has behind them in the cover-ups from NASA. We are also joined by Eric Markham from the Encounter Online, Spaced Out Radio's news edition. So during the break, you can check that out as well. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott. We'll be back with hour number two right after this. From coast to coast to coast, Blacklight Uncharted is taking on the paranormal across Canada. From ghostly hauntings to the UFOs flying above in conjunction with MUFON Canada, they're closely investigating what's going on in the northern skies and checking out the apparitions that walk among us. Check out our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to know your thoughts, we want to hear your experiences, and we want you to share your stories. The answers are out there, and we intend to find them. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. The third Monday of every month, Spaced Out Radio is going to bring you a different look at everything paranormal. Welcome to The Reporters. Jim Mallard, Vanessa Hogel, Denise Garcia, and Christina George join me, Dave Scott, for a look at the weird and strange from the other side of the microphone. We'll break down ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and the people investigating them. The paranormal media has never been heard like this. Come listen to The Reporters. It's paranormal news at its finest. Welcome to The Encounter. At spaceoutradio.com, The Encounter Online is SOR's trusted news source for everything weird and strange going on around the world. This is news editor Eric Markham. Our team of journalists are scouring the planet for those strange stories that rarely make the mainstream. No fear-mongering or fake news here. Head over to spaceoutradio.com and encounter The Encounter. Hey, this is Canadian Paranormal Investigator Mike Moore. The third Wednesday of every month, I'll be teaming up with Dave Scott to bring you Ghosts of the Great White North. Each month, we will bring on guests from across Canada to discuss their ghostly encounters. Canada is a paranormal hotbed with stories you've never heard, so we're going to bring them to you. So get comfy in your Chesterfield, grab a donut, and join us, eh? Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There. 
you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us. From radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I... Vincent Zunza and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to the second hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along with us. Tomorrow night on the show, Frank Huguenard is going to join us. We're going to talk science of the soul, get a little spiritual tomorrow night, shake things up from a heavy week of cryptids and UFO contact and conspiracy. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spacedoutradio.com. We want to welcome in our terrestrial radio stations tonight. 
United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. We're also live on WQEE 99 Rock the Key down in Noonan, Georgia, where they film and host The Walking Dead. Good to have you all with us. We're also live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio and on Revolution Radio. Remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Eleutheromania. Eleutheromania is your password. Make sure you use it wisely, Space Travelers, as Bill sets the password each and every night right here on the mighty SOR. Hey, if you're following along on Twitter, you can do so at Spaced Out Radio and use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to connect with me live during the show. There's a plethora of you out there, so please keep up the great work in what you are doing. Skeptic, we're going to need more snarking out of you, so make sure you pick up your A-game. Thank you very much. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like. As I just said, I would appreciate that. You can also tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and on Stitcher. Our website is SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month, read up on the encounter online, and if you head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, For as low as a dollar a month, you could become the next Spaced Out Radio patron. We'd appreciate you doing that. Tonight we are talking with Brett Colin Shepard. He works with Ken Johnson, whom we had on the air just a couple of weeks ago, talking about the Apollo program, aliens, what's hiding on the moon. Brett is a researcher who has many, many photographs of the moon that he has broken down to find anomalous beings and behavior on there and structures it's pretty incredible we're also joined by eric markham from the encounter online gentlemen welcome back i'm glad to be here i'm here absolutely (laughs) thank you oh it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on with us and you will be on in just a couple of weeks with ken actually may 23rd where both you guys are going to come on it's going to be a lot of fun getting everything in and you know what we are going to make sure that we have a good show that night for you as well brent one of the things that i'm very curious of because there is so much conspiracy around nasa what are they hiding what are they not hiding and let's go a little deep into that for just a, a moment are you a believer that there is some sort of secret space program going on now yes you mentioned in the first hour that After Apollo 17, we were told that we weren't ready to be on the moon by extraterrestrials. But there is rumor that there was an Apollo 18, 19, and 20. And there are others out there who have come aboard saying, look, there is a secret space program. We have bases on the moon. We have been to Venus. We have bases on Mars. We've been to a couple of moons on Saturn as well as elsewhere in the universe. Where's your stance on that, and what have you learned? Well, I, I, I don't believe in extraterrestrials. I know there are extraterrestrials. That, that's a given to me. Because of my, my particular experiences that I've had, I'm an experiencer, um, uh, they, they are hiding these things because they've made back-end deals with the extraterrestrials. Um, 
uh, all goes all the way back to the Eisenhower days in the 50s. You know, um, they, uh, Eisenhower um, was going to make a deal with, with the extraterrestrials on the moon who were reptilians or Nordics or something, and they say, get rid of all your weapons and we'll give you some technology, you know, for, for peace, peaceful purposes. And him being a military, staunch military guy, you know, along with, you know, General Trudeau and them, who back in, you know, back then um, worked, he, he um, was assigned to Project Horizon or, or made up Project Horizon um, to, to build bases on the moon, even all the way back then, way before Apollo. So these guys, you know, they were already in contact with these extraterrestrials even back then. Eisenhower um, was going to make a deal with them. Um, he's, he's one of the guys that said, hey, I'm going to bring some troops and we're going to invade Area 51, you know, and all that. So it, he didn't care. He was, like, totally in on it. And he was the last president that probably was. Um, this, this guy, you know, he, he, he didn't um, follow through with the deal with the Nordics or reptilian thing where they, where they say get rid of all your nukes or whatever. Um, the aliens didn't care because they weren't going to let us light them off anyway. And we've seen that over and over again, you know, with the Dietrichson, um, Colonel Dietrichson information, you know, with, with um, Vandenberg Air Force Base and them um, going around disabling peacekeeper missiles and all that. Ken's actually, actually seen the same exact thing at Vandenberg. Um, these guys are spooky. They'll do anything for us not to find out that these back-end deals were made, you know, that affect all of humanity. You know, they, they, they've already stepped into the secrecy when they were making deals with these extraterrestrials. Um, on the tarmac or whatever, they, they were making, um, he decided to make deals with these interdimensionals um, and these EBs or whatever that were popping in and out of our reality dimensionally. And they wanted to be here and have an actual physical body to be on Earth so that they could work with the scientists and all of that. So they had that agenda. Well, they, they decided to exchange biological material so that they could experiment with it and make bodies, you know. Um, this was not just human bodies or whatever, but also, you know, biological material from mushrooms and everything else, anything that they could use to uh, synthetically build a body to be on Earth with, like a spacesuit, you know. So So anyway, these... They, they gave them they, they gave them kind of a shit deal, you know, as far as that goes. They, the extraterrestrials didn't give them the expected technology that they were after. It was sort of disappointing. And they've only got, you know, uh, for a long time, only got so far as reverse gravitics, you know, even, even with Tesla's material and the Nazi material and everything else. So they got the reverse gravitics down and all that, and they, they were flying that around Utah and Southern California and that. And we saw some of those craft. They look exactly like the Hanabu from Nazi Germany. Um, so we, we had that technology. And if you notice, there was George Adamski and all the Georges that came out showing these images of these people and Nordics came out of the ship and all of that. Every, everything was alternatively symbolic of Nazi Germany. You know, the Valkyrie, the, the Nordics, the Aldebaran and all that. So we, we get this esoteric end of the spooky stuff from the space program, which is just completely a front for the actual space 
secret space programs of each armed forces. And each armed forces is responsible for a certain thing. You've got the Navy, they're doing the mapping and communications. Um, you know, you've got the, the Army, they're in charge of structuring, um, putting structures on the moon, this and that. And um, you've got the Air Force, which is fairly obvious, you know, they're flying around in these reverse gravitic things and whatnot. So you, you you have these secret space programs that are com that, that are separate but working in cognitive you know with Russia and everything else. See, scientists aren't at war; they're all working th together. Um, that's not a theory; they really are. You know, um, they, there's India with their they, they're pulling together an international space program, which is you know basically just symbolic again of all of them working together. And there was these, these, these older generals, you know, from Russia that said, we used to call the UFOs by organizing a bunch of uh, armory and everything else in one area, and we could actually call the UFOs because they were attracted to our war technology. So they knew that they'd come around. It's like the UFOs and ETs or whatever that are coming around missile bases and disabling all of that. I don't see how that can be debunked. I mean, you know, the, the people that are actually the directors working there are telling people that's exactly what's happening. These extraterrestrials are disabling our nuclear weapons. Isn't there even a case where they, one side, or maybe it's happened on both sides, that they have triggered a launch or, you know, the, the prelude to a launch just right. to give us a scare? Yes. They've, they've done that, um, and, and that, that is how they do things, you know. They, these are, especially the interdimensionals, they do that. Um, they'll show us exactly a mirror of what we're not supposed to do, like reverse psychology, like we're children. Well, it, apparently it's worked because we haven't blown ourselves up in the last, you know, I grew up with the whole get under your desk and put your hands over your head so you don't see yourself getting vaporized back oh, yeah. in the 70s. I have a question from Shar in our speaker chat room. She's sure. asking, of the UFOs that we're seeing, are they all ours? Is it all our technology, or is it a mixture? No, they are not all ours, and, and I, I can say that definitively. I have friends, like I said, that are working in the secret space program, and they've shown me videos of, of UFOs. They said, that is not ours. It's changing shape. It's dimensional interdimensional, whatever. So, no, they're, they're absolutely, they're, they're light years ahead of anything that we could ever conceive. Well, it seems to me we really haven't gotten that much from them as far as technology because Tesla had pretty much apparent, well, there's a whole mythology around him, but anti-gravitic was something that he touched on. Right. And if they've the given down. us, and if they've given us, you know, that what they're really, you know, it's it's almost like a prime directive type of thing. It seems to me, it's like, well, they're on the cusp of knowing this, so give them a little help. Well, yeah, there's that aspect of it, and and there's also the the aspect of our three dimensionality. You know, there it's limited, and and what they're trying to teach us is that um, beyond that light extends and stretches uh, beyond many dimensions, time, whatever, uh, however you look at it or consider it. Light is in every dimension. 
So right now they're working on these portals and such, you know, that you might be hearing about, or this ancient technology that they've got in Antarctica or ancient technology they found in Samaria or something like that. So they're, they're working with these issues of um, cognition, and they're, they're working with, with some of the issues of perception and this light information consciousness. So the, the, the vehicle, you know, by which, you know, the, the photons carry information. And they, they break that down um, into subatomic stuff and quantum stuff, you know. Like Edgar Mitchell said um, when he was doing the experiments back uh, with Stanford CIA uh, research or whatever, um, 1972 to 1985, he said, back in the early 70s, I did work with SRI with Harold Putoff and Russell Targ and Yuri Geller, and I was invited to brief the CIA on our results. George Bush was the head of the CIA at the time. Subsequently, a great deal of psychic work was done by CIA, and very successfully, because the Soviets were doing it at the time as well. Very successful. Uh, relationship uh, that existed in nature, it's responsible for our inner experience. It in involves the zero-point field quantum physics uh, mystical experience, parapsychological functioning, the ambiguous aliens, you know, quote, he insists are the, at the heart of the federal UFO cover-up, visitors from a civilization a few million or even a few billion years older than we are. And that was Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell that said that. I mean, people that uh, a civilization that is literally billions of years more advanced than us. Uh, oh, they're gods. Yeah. I mean, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. If 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 our ancients or whatever were to to see them, they yes, they are gods. They we are the descendants of them. We actually came here from another place. So technology was the further back you go in history, the more technological it gets. Basically, I've always wondered if maybe we weren't. I think what's happened is we've come up to a a technological peak, and three dimensional. Yeah. Well, we we get up to a level, and then we destroy ourselves, and then it takes a few thousand years to get back to where we were. And I'm wondering is if there's really any evidence out there that you know we're not the first technologically advanced. Culture. Well, I'm seeing very, yeah, I'm seeing very clear evidence that they will not let us destroy ourselves this time. So something else is happening that's different, which, you know, which is nice because otherwise it would be the definition of mental illness. Right. Doing the same thing and expecting different results. So, yeah, Stanford CIA experiments in 1972 to 1985. In the summer of 1995, the CIA declassified the documents which revealed their true sponsorship in the 1970s of a program at Stanford Research Institute to determine whether remote viewing might have any um, utility for gathering intelligence. And at the time, they, they began to disclose to the public two decades of their involvement with the intelligence community and the investigation of so-called parapsychological psi phenomena presented here to the program's founder, first director, um, 1972 to 1985, in the early history of the program, which included the discussion of some of the first now declassified results um, that drove initial interest. Now, as the director of these programs writes, um, regardless of one's prior position 
However, uh, an impassioned observer cannot help but attest to the following fact. Despite the ambiguities inherent in the type of exploration covered in these programs, the integration um, the integrated results appear to provide unequivocal evidence of a human capacity to access events remote in space and time. However, flatteringly, um, uh, by some cognitive process not yet understood, many years of involvement uh, as a research manager in these programs have left me with the conviction that this fact must be taken into account in any attempt to develop an unbiased picture of the structure of reality. That was Ed May. Ingo Swan later concluded that the experiments in the remote viewing and precognition were all about human perception and our underlying reality. This is where it kind of affects me, you know. Um, this EM mind control machines were uh, championed by Stanford, uh, re, re, uh, Stanford University by Carl Fribman from Fribram director of Neuropsychology Research Laboratory, I certainly could educate a child by putting an electrode on his lateral hypothalamus and then selecting the stimuluses uh, at which I stimulate it. And this way, um, and this was, um, I can grossly change his behavior. Psych Psychology Today fetted him as the, the Magellan of brain science. He, he he obtained a BS and MD degrees at University of Chicago and Stanford University Studies. How to brain, uh, how the brain processes and stores sensory imagery. He is a credit. Um, he's credited with discovery that that mental imaging bears a close resemblance to hologram projection, the basis for transmitting images to the cranium uh, craniums of test subjects under the misnomer of remote viewing. So it's a, it's a very intensive psychological study, you know, having to do with perception. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, to, read, to read Russell Targ's work in, oh, that, I, in yeah. that arena, I mean, yeah. oh, I know. And he's got a disease to where he has a, a perceptive disease. He will not, he cannot recognize a face. Yes. yes. If you meet him, you could be his best friend, and until he hears your voice or you know some other identifier, he will not recognize you. He's it, it's just impossible for him. Right. He has that that um, that that face recognition um, symptom uh, of gosh, what 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 is the word? The word is um, prosopagnosia. A brain disorder that renders that has it um, completely unable to recognize faces when you see them, according to some medical studies. As much as 2.5% uh, of human population may suffer from this disorder. It's very rare, you know. Yeah, it's right, right up there with synesthesia, where you taste colors. Well, let's go into Russell Targ yeah. a little bit. I mean, th this man sure. is kind of. I think he's dropped off the radar. I know uh, last year he was scheduled to give a TED talk, and at the last minute they jerked the rug out from under him. Do you know anything about what was going on there? Um, uh, other than they weren't really looking for someone that couldn't recognize faces. Um, they, uh, perceptually or whatever, they were looking for... Um, 
See, what, what's interesting about Russell Targ is that that disability was balanced by an incredible ability to recognize structures and structural issues in, in our reality. So, yeah, so he had that, um, that, that opposite perception. You know, that, it's almost uh, like one short-circuited the other. Yeah, absolutely. They were looking for someone that could actually see the faces. Um, they were interested in how many people in the population could see faces. So that one of the interesting things as far as Russell Targ is he was sort of a sort of a control subject for someone that couldn't see them at all, you know. I know he's uh, legally blind, but somehow he managed to get a motorcycle license because he can apparently yeah. he can remote view and see what's going on around him like you or I would use our eyes. Yes. That's exactly right. Um, though, though he couldn't physically, with his eyes, make out faces and stuff, his brain was. If that makes sense. So it was, um, it was, you know, an overcompensation for the other. So his brain um, would actually see what wasn't there. If that makes any sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. It makes yeah. It. Amazing, you know, as a motorcyclist myself, it's like you don't let your eyes off anything. <laughs> Just, right. you know, that's how you end up in a ditch or running into the back of a car. So the idea of this this old guy puttering around blind as a bat on a motorcycle, you know, that's that's cool. <laughs> but right, right. Now with Ken Johnson, let's let's switch gears a little bit with Ken Johnston. He's he had the what the way he tells the story. He had this pile of photographs on his desk that were the original images of the moon, and these things had, I guess, let's borrow uh, Hoagland's term, arcologies on them. Right, and and then he was basically told throw these away, and he. The way he tells it, he nagged at the guy or questioned the guy to the point where in exasperation that he said, I don't care what you do with them, just get rid of them. Right. So, and then he, you know, he took up, he's got the whole set that was in front of him. He didn't throw anything away that, you know, that wasn't a duplicate, correct? That's correct, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Hoagland was, was examining these these images and he was, he was seeing, you know, that layer that I'm talking about, but I feel that it was sort of misinterpreted. You know, he was seeing it as some giant glass dome that's over these um, these areas or whatever, and you know, with buttresses and all. all you know, I, I really um, no. I've seen Ken's images, and I can tell you that that some of that was because they were old. Period. You know, they, these images. Some of them are. are weathered let's put it that way so you know to say that there's something in them like that you sort of have to know photographically as an artist the difference between damage and what's really on the emulsion you know what i mean so so um hoagland was kind of misinterpreting some of those things but i do like his ideas of the sacred geometry and some of those aspects that he was talking about um pinpointing the exact landing time and all that you know um, 
they had they had guys that were actually literally working on that in an esoteric way to show so, that ET you know that we're ready to be on the moon or whatever you know we so can that, handle it. That wasn't just him putting things in. That, that they really did have astrologers working behind the scene. Right, exactly right. You know, um, like, like I said, some of these first generation images that Ken has are eight by tens. They they are uh, production from the the negatives, you know, and and some of them are just they're old, you know, like like most seventies pictures you would have in your mom's um, uh, round hat box. You know what I mean? Uh, they're they're just uh, they're they're some of them are damaged. They're old. Some of them are crystal clear. He's taking quite good care of them, considering that he really didn't have the means to do so. You know, he took care of them the best he could with the plastic and everything else. Now, they, these these images, when you look at them, it, um, uh, Oberg and them are, you know, they like to pick on the fact that the images are old, that there's, uh, you know, a bug that ran across it or something like that. Well, anybody that looks at them knows that. It's, uh, an artist can look at them and say, "Yeah, that's, you know, that that that's an affectation of the the scanner. That's this or that." But they can also see what's actually on the emulsion when they rule all that other stuff out. You know, and not all images are like that. Just some of them. Um, the the thing is, is these these images were not um, studied by an artist. A scientist like Hoagland, you know, is not going to study these images the same as I did. You know, he's going to look at them scientifically and, you know, start start enhancing them and, and start bringing things out and go, oh, you know, try to create whatever mythology about them. I don't, I don't enhance them. I don't have to. There it is on the emulsion is what I'm saying, you know. So it's um, I'm, I'm not looking for anything odd. I'm not looking for anything um, um, completely bizarre. But um, I'm just I'm, I'm pointing at the process of these images, so that we can roll this other stuff out. Because I'm, I, I I really don't like to consider myself some kind of flake or something. You know, if I put my name on something, I've I've really looked at it in detail. So they, yeah, go ahead. Brad, I got a couple questions from the SOR Space Travelers Club. This coming from Claudia, and Claudia is asking, "Do you believe that we are computer generated, digitally made? Are we a hologram? Are we programmed by a computer simulation, or are we being programmed by the aliens as well?" Um, that's that's a very complex question. Um, uh, are we a natural hologram? Yes. I don't believe that we're any computer-generated anything, no. We're very natural. We're physical beings. Um, we're, we live in the nature of this dimensional reality. Um, the, the, the other thing that, that might kind of make you happy, you know, is, is that everything we see is a natural hologram. So it's, our, it's the way that our brains interpret um, anything that we perceive. Um, we look at a rock or whatever, that has funny shapes in it. We we can see hierophany in those. You know, we can see um, the Mother Mary, or we can see some god or goddess, or Pegasus, or whatever. You know, within this rock, um, those are not. You know, it, it's not something that you're just seeing. You're not just seeing things. 
You know, you have actual literal context of these things. So in that way, the, uh, what, the way we see our world, the way we perceive everything is very holographic. Um, other, otherwise, it still exists. It's just that we don't have any conception context of it. Like when we're infants or babies or whatever, we haven't even opened our eyes yet. We have no idea what, what's going, what uh, incredible wonders are awaiting us before our eyes open. You know, so, so in, in that way, you, even, even um, an infant that hasn't even opened its eyes yet has, um, has some kind of protection against the blunt reality of that hologram that he's going to be introduced to or she, you know. So in, in that way, we're holograms. The, things that, the, the way we processed our world um, inside the database in our brain um, everything we see, and what's wonderful about perception is everyone sees the world a different way. That's what makes us incredible pe- uh, beings, is that we're, we're able to dream our own dreams, you know. And we're able to see these things in our own perceptual way to put the big puzzle together, that we're all a part of this earth, that we're all a part of this three-dimensional reality. Now, just think... If, if all of that is that complexity is going on in our three-dimensional reality, how much stuff is going out there on another planet or on, in another universe or, you know, farther and farther out? So the, these things, no, I, do, no, I don't believe that we're in a computer hologram simula- simulation like a flat earth theory, a big dome over it, and, you know, um, we're, they're playing a movie for us. I don't believe that because I'm, I'm a conscious being. So even if I didn't have this body or whatever, um, even if I was invisible, I would still be alive in a conscious, sentient being. Right. So if that makes any sense. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Let's get to Joe's question. And Joe is asking, do you believe, Brett, that it's possible that the alien visitors are descendants of the past Earth high technological societies? Yes. I mean, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on that. I, not only that, I'm seeing them in our lunar images. I'm seeing the, the beings that, that came here uh, millenniums ago, you know, the ones that Sitchin talked about, the Anunnaki. Now, a lot, a lot of people think of the, you know, Sitchin and the Anunnaki or whatever like it happened 3,000 years ago. No, they were actually writing about it. The Chaldean priests were writing about it 3,000 years ago, about their ancient history. And it's the same with the Greeks. The Greeks were writing about their ancient history, which would be the you know the the empires of the old empires of the Black Sea area, the Scythians, the Dacians, the Illyrians, um, all of these great um, civilizations um, that that collectively they called the Vinca cultures and all that. Goblia Tepe, you know, what's interesting about that is some looking at it as a, as an artist, the these. These objects, you know, that are on these stones, you know, these these um, these sculptures that that are popping out, you know, of lions and that are the in the exact same style as the tattoos that were found on the mummies in Scythia, in East China. You know, um, yeah. If if anyone wants to to read a little more about Anunnaki on the moon or something like that, um, it, my partner Karen Christine Patrick wrote a book on that, and you can find that at shepherdandpatrick.com and a couple of other books. But anyway, to answer that question thoroughly, um, yes. 
not not only did we our our ancestors literally came here, but but they have descended. We have descended brothers and sisters out in space. If that makes sense, um, it, it it wasn't completely of some kind of genetic alteration, other other than our scientific analysis of it today. We might consider that a genetic alteration, but no, they literally had sex. They literally were human, um, humanoid. Uh, they they came here and they uh, they made biological spacesuits so that we could be here on Earth. Of all the alien species that we have heard that have been on this planet, do you believe that? There are a multitude of species that have come here, number one. And number two, do you think that all of them have their own separate bases or one conglomerate of a base on the moon so that way they can keep watch of what we are doing? Um, yes, I believe that, you know, uh, there there's still a couple of um, races out there in space that are still a bit warfaring like we are, you know, so so they're not ready yet either. You know, basically, um, but there's some that are that are kind of trying to pull it together. They're they're an advanced race of beings. Um, they, they have lived for a long time, putting all their differences aside and living in peace, which is which is a daily issue. You know, it is not natural for anything in the universe to just be peaceful. It's that that's just as unnatural as as us being warfaring all the time. You know, so there's a balance there, and. Yes, there are there are many different. If you can imagine it perceptually in your in your mind, what how many vast different kinds of of combinations of beings that you can think of in your mind, from all the movies that you've seen, um, from your imagination, from your dreams, from whatever, everything that you think of actually exists in some dimension or another. So how many species do you think have actually visited here? Um, well, um, I, I personally have not seen a reptoid. I have not seen a gray. Um, I, I, I have encountered um, interdimensional type stuff, you know, beings that, that, were, that were comparable to the, the sacred clown beings that the indigenous Americans talk about. Um, the uh, Hayoki um, and all that from the Pueblo people. Um, they, I'm, I'm not real Indianish or whatever, you know. Uh, other than um, my great grandparents were Cherokee, probably uh, Obijiwa or something like that, around the lines of that. But you know, perceptually, um, the, these old ancient people um, in Europe and over here in the United States and and in the islands and everywhere else at one time were were speaking the same language with the same sigils the sigils um, literally the symbols of things had more meaning than language you know so so everything was very telepathic um the the thing is about that how many different beings or whatever i i have only experienced um two i've experienced um uh, an interdimensional type being that that sort of looked like a gray, but it was like a tall white type being. And I've also experienced these, um, what you might call dream beings, or, or beings that give you ideas from the morphogenic field. You know, and, and they're like I said, comparable to the sacred clown idea. You know, 
creators well, the, of the universe, that sort of thing. Like the Coca Pele type character that's a trickster. Uh, yes. Now, if we look at, and I'm sure you've heard this before, if we look at the the bag of, I always have trouble pronouncing it, the bag of Avita from, right from India, from India. That if you read that in a modern context, it sounds like a like a, a like Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's exactly what it was. It was Star Wars. Um, so long ago, though, um, because see that long ago, um, even the advanced races of today or whatever back then were kind of warfaring. So it was like I said, it wasn't natural to come to terms with peace and all that. So that, this is an ongoing education, even for us. And that these beings are not superior; they're not, you know, a- any more gods than we are. We're all learning together. I, I don't believe that we're as far along as other races. I'll tell you that. But you know, the 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 thing is, is that I don't believe that they're gods either. You know, if that makes any sense, I, um, they, they, these 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 beings are just learning, just like we are. They just might be a little further ahead in a in a, a higher class. You know. Well, if if a modern human being went back to say the 1400s or the 1200s with a modern pistol, a cell right. phone, yeah, we would appear like right. God. Yeah, you know, we would be gods to them. Exactly. So, yeah, almost, it's a, a timeline or whatever, we're just fur, further along than that, yeah. Okay, I got a question from Bill Hauser in the Space in the Space Out Radio Spreaker chat. Bill wants to know your thoughts on extraterrestrials having the ability to uh, manipulate time as we know it. Um, yeah, not only extraterrestrials, but I believe that that that, that issue, time, you know, the fourth dimension... Um, it is being played with with our military um, with, through por- with portals and of light and all that because light, you know, of course, um, is seen in all of those dimensions. So Carl Sagan was right about some of these things, you know. Um, this this fourth dimensional portal time, you know, it, it is our scientific way to um, to put a face on something that's not visible in our dimension. You know, so it, it it's to try to to keep track, of, especially with issues of space time, where space is folding in on itself, um, like you know, like that classic, um, um, you know, tetra tetrahedron, you know, that that just keeps you know folding in back in on itself, and that it's a representation of a fourth dimensional time thing. And when that that fold comes in closer to the the box. Um, it, at that point in time, it's folded, and you can pass right through um, all the way across the universe, theoretically. You know, and, and part of that was um, Einstein's theory of relativity. So it's relative, basically. Time is relative. So it's a matter of you've got to break out of... In order to avoid the relativistic effects of traveling close to or past the speed of light, well, you can't go past. According to our physics, you can't go past it. But right, in order to, b- before you can do that, that's like there's a, a dimension you have to enter. 
you can't do it. You can't travel interstellar distances on this plane. There's got to be like what what we call it, a subspace or some yes. fold that you can jump across. Yes, I've I've actually experienced that place. Um, you know, it's <laughs> of course that that's sort of the experiencer side of me. You know, I. I was I was extraordinarily traumatized as a child, you know, and and I would be thrown into these places, this, this little space of protection, and you know, and it's definitely um, it was definitely because of extraterrestrials that that happened to me, and these dimensional beings or whatever pass in and out of these things all the time, and this, this little square, this box or this merkaba or whatever you call it. Um, whatever your context is or perception, it is a, a, a space where everything is completely still. I mean, nothing is moving. You're, that's your own personal little space, except you may be going a million miles per hour in this space. Who knows, you know? But um, from your perception in this space, you're protected from all of these other senses. It's a very strange place to be, even for a moment. It's scary. When you're in that little bubble, do you have the sense of time? No. That you, it, the idea of being in a place where time does not exist, right. but you still act. Yes. From the perception of, of the, the rest of the universe outside of your little bubble thing that you're in, time does exist. Time's going really fast in some places and really slow in other places, you know. Usually going really slow about 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, quarter to 7 in the morning when I'm waiting to get off work. It's even, it's, right. I've heard it said that though a second is always a second, a minute is always a minute. Right. It's sort yeah. of like a current in that the the current or the under the undercurrent of time yeah, the underlying reality. Yeah, yeah it, it it can vary. Yes. Yeah, so so it's definitely a perception issue, right? Well, I just something weird that I used to do. I would hit a snooze button, and I've lost the ability to do this. But I could. It seems like I could take that ten minutes and somehow stretch it. It was right. some kind of weird way that you know those that ten minutes felt a lot longer, or it seemed it it, it didn't feel like the average ten minutes. Yes, and you know, we I can could, actually control those things with perception. Okay, uh, yeah, it wasn't like I could doze off. If I dozed right. off, I lost control of it. But there was yeah. a way. I it, it's weird. It was like a switch being thrown, where you know that ten minutes could take. Like maybe forty-five minutes. I, I, it just, it was. I, I called it time dilation because it seemed like it spread that ten minutes out over a longer stretch. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, it, it's it, you can actually change your reality that way. You can you can manipulate your reality that way. You know, um, and, and yeah, it does. Sometimes it, it seems like, oh, geez, I've got to be somewhere at nine in the morning, and and um, I mean, time flies. You know. Suddenly it's like quarter to nine and you don't know where the time went because you're hurrying, you know? 
Yeah, or so, you, yeah. It time is we. I don't think it's more than seconds and minutes. There's there's something about the way time works. Oh yeah, we are not knowing. Yeah, you know, we don't know what it is. I, I just figure if everything is going on at once, as some people, as some of the the quantum physicists say, you know, all of history is happening at once. Yeah. Time is the mechanism by which we can make sense of the slices of time that we are traveling through. Yeah, my partner, or, Karen Christine Patrick, always, always says that there, there is no such thing as was, there only is. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, okay, you, you, ex- you had this experience where you were transported in this bubble of right. non-time. Yes. Unwrap that a little bit, if you don't mind. You know, what is there, you know, can you tell us? I don't mind at all going to crazy town with you on that. You know? Oh, uh, we love, we don't call it crazy town. Here. <laughs> we call it, we call it normal town here. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's normal to me too. Yeah. This is just another day to me, you know, but yeah, th- this, um, I, I will, I will just say it like it is, you know, I was being extraordinarily abused when I was a kid, you know, not to go into detail, and the trauma sent me into this place, and in this place, I was actually put in, in this this weird vehicle that, that seemed like like there was no time, there was no issues of perception of, uh, of anything, you know, um, things just were the way they were, and um, extraterrestrials had put me into this place so that I didn't have to experience tr- trauma in my three-dimensional world, literally, you know. So you, you might want to call them imaginary friends or whatever, but they literally took me to the moon or some other planet in this box. Um, they explained to me that, uh, that all you have to do is think of something, and it'll, it'll, it'll appear, you know. So... I was I was literally somewhere inside a the morphogenic type area, you know, of the universe. You know, so so anything that I thought of, if I wanted to sit down, I could just sit down and big, big deal. Like there's a chair there, but there's not really nothing there. You know what I mean? Um, so anything that that I could think of to create in my mind would appear. It was very strange. So I might have been. Uh, maybe abducted by um, extraterrestrials that were that looked gooey or or some kind of squid or something, you know, for all I know. But what I perceived was a, a beautiful lady in a nice um, a nice gown, you know, the dark-haired woman, you know, um, blue eyes, you know, that sort of thing. Um, someone that I felt like they were family. But you've heard the stories, you know, where extraterrestrials make you see things, you know what I mean? But anyway, this this lady, she was there. Um, she took me to the this place that I that I can perceived as the moon, our moon. Um, the, this place that was like a, a dreamlight type place, you know. Everything was glowing and this and that. And there was this this pilot to this um, the the ship I was on. This little Merkaba thing became part of a bigger ship. And this ship was being piloted by this little creature, or whatever, that had a mask on. Kind of like the sacred clown thing, you know, but I didn't know that. I was I was very young when I had this happen to me. 
um, this this little clown guy or whatever. We had this mask on that looked eerily human, you know. So it, you you wondered what did they look like underneath that mask thing or whatever. It was a very short person. Um, I get to this this planet, this place, and there's a whole bunch of them running around. All all they're, they're like Munchkins or whatever Disney. Um, you know, like like uh, Wizard of Oz or whatever, Munchkins running around, and they all had these masks on. And I I hugged one of them. I was a little kid, you know, and I hugged one of them. I said, "You don't have to wear that mask, you know. There's nothing wrong with you. Every you're perfect the way you are." I was a weird kid. I took care of animals, and I was, you know, I, I was like that. I I loved everything about life, you know. So the the creature took its mask off and it was crying, and it said, "No one's ever said that I could do that." So it, it was weird. It was like they were they were seeing me as not as a god, but as one of them, like we were family, you know. And they told me that I was supposed to do something. You know, maybe this was a preconceived or, or cognitive dream or whatever um, that I was having a perception of. Um, but they told me that I would, uh, that I would uncover something someday that has something to do with all of this, you know, that, that our, our world is in trouble and all this jazz, you know? So, so they, they put me back in my three dimensional environment in a split second. I was there, I was laying on the floor, experience, experiencing all kinds of after pain that I <laughs> that I could even I can't even imagine what I would have endured otherwise. But I was laying there um crying in an incredible pain like I it felt as though I'd had an out of body type experience or a near death type experience. So that that's that's my that's my experience there. The uh wow, <laughs> powerful stuff. Uh so you go this other place, and you have instances. You know, you're experiencing a flow of events. Yes. But then, but then you pop back to another point. It's like time is so malleable. Or right. do you think while you were ex- have in that other place, having those experiences? Were you aging? Was time having its normal effect on you? And then when you jump back to that moment, no, when, I when did you not come back I, to three D. Right. Nope. Like an instant. Like it happened in an instant. The whole thing. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that that was um, it was that, and, and on that level, it's more than perception when you experience something like that, and you're like, whoa, you know, wait a minute. You know, and it wasn't even a minute, you know. Like the dream that seems to take, be epic and take all night in reality, it only probably took a, a flash of a second just as you were waking up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. You know, so, so some of those issues about time, you're right, are very, very bizarre. You know, we, we can't, there's no way we can measure that. That's too morphogenic, you know. They, they've done, the, you know, the the slit experiment and everything else, and they, the the problem with that is our observation literally will change time. 
we got about uh, 30 seconds here before we have to go to break here. Do you, do you regret what's happened to you? Do you regret the experiences and where it's led you to today? Um, no, not at all. I, 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 I believe that we're here on Earth or this, in, in this environment, this three-dimensional environment, to have a human experience. Um, how it, and if your human experience morphs into all these weird experiences or things that happen to you, I think it's, I think it's rich and full. And some were, some were very negative. I don't want to do it again, you know? Absolutely not. Um, but, no, I don't regret any of it. Not at all. And, and I, I feel, yeah. And on that note, Brett, I'm going to get you to hold on as we are through the first two hours of Spaced Out Radio tonight with Brett Collins Shepard, our guest, going over Mars and Moon anomalies. We're going to get more into that. I believe Brett's sticking around for hour number three. I'm not too sure. Well, yeah, he is. What the hell? Let's just do it. Space Out Radio can be heard on WQEE 99 Rock the Key down in Noonan, Georgia, and on 107.7 FM in New Orleans on the United Public Radio Network. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. Make sure you check that out. And during the break, go over to patreon.com where you can become a Space Out Radio patron for as low as $1. And if you're on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Add me, because I want to add you as well. I always add back. That's the kind of guy I am. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio in hour number three, right after this. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, Head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines. Your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with U4COP. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. 
Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. This is Eric Markham, news editor for Spaced Out Radio's The Encounter Online. We have put together a great team of writers and journalists from all over the world to bring you top-quality paranormal stories, from alien encounters to the latest conspiracies. You won't find any of that fake news here. True stories and top-notch reporting as we look to bring these experiences to the mainstream. The Encounter online, only at spacedoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio, or our website including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, 
Look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you along for the ride. Tomorrow night on the program, Frank Huguenard is going to join us. We're talking science of the soul, get more into a spiritual Zen-type experience as we learn more about our own personal selves. Friday night, we have the SOR Roundtable. I hope you join us for that as well. We always get going at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time, right here at SpacedOutRadio.com. We want to welcome in our terrestrial radio stations tuning us in tonight. WQEE 99 Rock the Key down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of the Walking Dead. We are also live on the United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans in over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. We're live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio. And if you are listening in to Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Eleutheromania. Eleutheromania is your password, so make sure you, you use it wisely, Space Travelers, because that is your password of the night. Somebody asks you what it's for? Exactly. That's all you have to explain. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Also use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio to communicate with me live during the show as well. You can give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. You can tune us in on TuneIn, download our shows from iTunes. We're also on TalkStream Live, RadioGuide.fm, and on Stitcher. Our website is SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month. And you can head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, for as low as $1 a month, you can become a patron of Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, we introduce Brett Colin Shepard. He is a researcher of moon anomalies, space anomalies. He works closely hand-in-hand with Ken Johnson, who we had on a couple weeks ago, the former NASA employee and Apollo employee during the Apollo space program. Brett, welcome back. It's good to have you with us again, Brent, and we got Eric Markham from The Encounter Online with us as well, so we welcome you gentlemen back. Now, Brent, during the break we were kind of talking about a lot of people keeping their jobs due to these cover-ups. Right. I'm curious, do you think that that's the biggest reason why we have a lot of people not speaking up, or do you think that that's probably you know, just the tip of the iceberg as to why everybody is so silent on what we may truly know. 
Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly it. The, the, the cover-up has a lot to do with our socioeconomic system and religion. There's a lot of programming there. Um, the, the, these, the, these programs, you can tell it's a program. If it's making you feel guilty or wrong or bad or I have to keep going, I have to go to my job, I have to make money, I have to do... Uh, every bit of that is programming. It's not something that's natural occurring in humanity. You know, the, the, these things... Um, the, these aspects where, where we've given our power over to something else, you know, like money or this or that or addiction or something, um, every bit of that is programming and it is completely deliberate. America has been programmed more than, just about more than any other country in the world. I mean, we are highly programmed people. Um, the, the, the problems with that are people are breaking their programming. They're saying, well, why, I don't understand this. Uh, I'd rather be concerned about my health, you know, for instance. Something that simple. Um, when, they, when they start getting into their actual health issues, they realize, oh, my goodness, I'm programmed, you know. So, yes, a, a lot of people are programmed to keep their jobs, you know. Don't say this or else. Um, sign here. You're not allowed to ever talk about this thing because it's a patent, you know. Um, be it because it's aliens, you're not allowed to talk about it, so sign here. So, and they mean business. They mean if you do go against that particular thing that you signed or whatever, you will lose your job or your life or your family will lose their life, you know. So, so these guys do mean business about certain things. And one of those things is, is um, something that's concerned, they're concerned about continuity, national security, that sort of issue that is a, a cloak or whatever, a symbol for continuity. And th this continuity is religion, um, you know, the established sciences, the, the socioeconomic system, uh, the, social, uh, the global world um, view, you know, is, is what they're essentially concerned with, keeping the status quo. Um, so anything that deviates from that at all, you're going to make, be made fun of, you're going to be punished for it. You're going to be financially assassinated if you talk, if you do these things, which I can tell you firsthand, I have been financially completely assassinated. And also the, the public perception of myself, you know, has, has been really construed, you know, beyond belief. Um, it's not who I am. Um, usually what people think I am or whatever. Um, I, I am, I'm somebody that has suffered a great deal of trauma, um, depression, PTSD, and other issues from the programming. So these are results of the programming. Does that answer that question? It, it does, and I can understand military people you know, being threatened with their lives and their futures and their pensions and absolutely everything for coming out. Because let's face it, we don't know as the public a quarter of what the military has. I'm saying right. behind, behind the scenes. Yes, we see the guns, the tanks, the helicopters, the jet aircraft. But it's what we don't know they have that is a little scary. And I think for any country, they have to have their national security on that. They have to keep quiet, and you don't want things getting out. We've seen what happens when spies get a hold of information. And I think that's a reality for a lot of people. But to keep literally tens of thousands of people quiet 
over decades that NASA has been around or government officials have been around to keep from talking, that's a lot of people, almost in the hundreds of thousands or the millions over the years, that we have to try and shut up. That's a lot of gag orders. And I don't know if if they're actually working and people are that scared or people just don't care or people just don't feel the need to step out more. Right. Yeah, like I said, the continuity is their main concern. And, and this is what's interesting, the shift or whatever that's happening. They're, they're realizing people are breaking their programming and they're, they're, they're having these extraterrestrial experiences themselves. They're, they're seeing the, the spacecraft that are flying around that even we have, you know, um, or the military has, rather. Uh, so people are starting to break this programming and they need to do something about it for continuity you know to preserve their any way of life that they have because if we can put a name or something on on some of these devious things that they've done to the public we know who to blame you know we 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 know it's not us anymore and so there 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 is a forward movement in the secret space program uh elite or whatever you want to call it these elite families the whatever business um they 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 want to put some of these these secrets out to the public and they've been doing it since the 90s they've been slowly trickling in all of this information to the public through the alternative media um through through uh multimedia and and fantasy and movies and that so they they want the information to be out because it's not a big deal the answer is not a big deal are we alone is there aliens do we do we have secret space programs do we have craft do we have all these things it's the public perception that they're concerned with because this is the future well i understand that they are concerned about the future i mean you got to realize yeah. too as i've said many times on this show we have to worry about what they are lying about and that and that's a big one we have to worry about what they are lying about because there's a lot of people who've been taken there's a lot of people who've had experiences that they would rather not have and if the government or nasa or one of these black op programs knows about that there are multi millions of dollars worth of lawsuits sitting out there well yeah that's i mean that that's the other thing we we should have no need for courts or anything like that that's not the way we used to do it even in the old west if a family had a problem or whatever, they didn't go to divorce court or something. They, the whole town handled it, you know? So, it, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we don't need in, in our society. They've, they've flooded us with laws, ridiculous laws. You, you chew gum or you spit it on the uh, ground or you, you jaywalked or you, all, all of these little intrinsic things that make us feel bad, guilty. We did something wrong. Everything we do is wrong. I don't want to leave the house, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, they, it, it's gone too far. And, they're, and what they're trying to do for continuity purposes is loosen all that up. Trump's already started to do that. And we Flipping can, embargoes on coal and stuff, you know. And, and I understand that. And we can make it political, but still, the fact is, doesn't matter if it's Trump, Bush, Obama, no, Clinton, those are puppets, Clinton. yeah. 
you know, yeah. there's there's still literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people out there who are working on these. Think of all the people at Boeing or Lockheed right. Martin or Northrop, never mind NASA. All these right. all these secondary companies who they obviously know they're what they're making parts for. They know they're not making hair dryers and and on a you know, some sort of you know, construction line trying to figure out what the Sam Hell they're building. They know what they're building. They know what they're using it for. And to keep quiet and to keep literally hundreds of thousands of employees, especially those who maybe been fired or left because they're disgruntled, it doesn't make sense to me how they are able to keep so many people from speaking out when so many people would have to be in the know about these projects. Yeah, it was, that, that's exactly right. Um, they, they pay them. They pay them quite well compared to um, normal, everyday working blue-collar people. You know, these people are, are, they are not only paid well, but they're doing well. They're given grand houses and, and land and everything else to shut up. You know, as far as how to get them to shut up, that's how. No, and I understand. Keep, uh, I can know. understand that, and I apologize for cutting you off. But where I'm going oh, no. with this is, if you look at Area 51, okay? Yeah. Every day at McCarran International Airport, you can view the Janet Jets flying in and out. Mm-hmm. Every day. Everybody knows where they're going. Everybody knows that they are working on something that they're not supposed to know about. Everybody right. knows. I mean- so, I mean, out of the thousands of people who have, say, over the last 50, 60 years that have worked at Area 51 alone, mm-hmm. Bob Lazar, amazingly, can't be the only one who has actually let something slip. I mean, that would mean that the CIA, the NSA, and whatever shadow group out there literally is following these people or bugging them 24-7 for their entire lives to make sure they don't screw up. Right. Um, there, there's, um, there, there's Paul Utz and his son, uh, Paul, uh, Paul A. Utz and his son, Paul H. Utz. His son talked about um, his father's career there, you know. And yes, it's, uh, it's very intrinsic and it seems to be very family-oriented. You know, if you're in one of these military families or whatever, they have they have armies of these families out there, you know, who are experiencing all of these military secrets and that. It's unbelievable, but they are keeping it uh, keeping it a secret. Um, this guy, you know, uh, Paul Utz, his father would would tell him um, stories all the time, you know, about uh, about the the types of technology and the and the clearances they had to have at Area 51 and all that. You know, his father never had uh, complete access to Area 51. The story suggested that the secret technology during uh, it was secret technology during the Carter administration. You know, so so this stuff, you know, it's so much a part of the American history and even ancient history, the indigenous history. You know, the the Spanish came over here and did an inquisition on um, on New Mexico when when the settlers came up here from Mexico from Spain. You know, uh, it's 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 very intrinsic. This this area is so steeped in in that underground deep 
underlying reality history, you know. Um, there's, I, just like you said, I live across from an airport where they're, they're constantly flying them giant things in with four, eight propellers or whatever, landing, you know, on the end of the airstrip, um, dumping all the whatever they have out, um, unloading it, and then it would take off and leave again. And there's a little airport, you know, not, um, really, really close to where it's landing. You know, it's really strange what's going on in New Mexico. Let's get to a couple questions from our audience. This comes from Claudia, back-to-back here. Claudia is asking, Brett, what do you know about the government? Have they been using time travel for a long time? Um, I don't know if they've been using time travel, but they know of the timelines. They, 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 they can either, either see into the future or the past or both. You know, they've got some kind of technology where they can... Um, where that where they can see these things, and I don't know if it's it's pattern oriented or if they literally have alien technology that tells them what our future is or um, our multiple timelines, and they can actually pick one to stick with. But I've been told weird things through my, throughout my life, like you were supposed to have um, filed an, uh, a Freedom of Information Act to get a certain document to share with the public. I've, I was told that by a government person. I've been told by FBI agents that I'm jeopardizing my freedom because, uh, you know, um, um, whatever reason, you know. But they would they would literally take me in, in into a room and tell me these things, and they would they would actually take me to a um, uh, a black site or whatever behind uh, it, it was behind Fountain Valley Nursing Home in um, Orange County, California. And this place was locked down. I was in there with Arizona Wilder, in fact. Her, they, they called her Susan, for instance. You know, so, so there is an underlying secret thing going on that, that is completely unreal to um, folks that are into the mainstream stuff. You know, the, this, this reality is completely behind the scenes. And, yes, they are. Um, experimenting with timelines. Um, we're on a timeline right now that is a peaceful timeline. Our, this timeline right here and now is not geared toward destruction or some kind of apocalyptic event, even though religion... See, religion is, um, is on the back burner compared to um, issues of socioeconomics to these people. That's the back end of it. You know, they, that's, that's not something that's going to determine their decision, that we need to go toward an apocalyptic event to get rid of 5,000 people or 5 million people like Georgia Guidestones or something. So, yes, I believe they know exactly what we're, what's supposed to happen on this timeline from my experience. With these timeline jumps, is that what actually accounts for another phenomenon we call the Mandela Effect? These little yes. hitches that, that just don't match up with memory? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, uh, the, the public's perception is being played with. That's exactly right. Let's get to another question here from Claudia, a follow-up. Do you believe then, Brett, in Al Belik's story, and that the government has used time travel 
And do they use time travel to set up bases throughout space that we are not aware of? Um, yes, they did multiple experiments on children over in Montauk, um, New York. Um, they, it, it's sick. It's really sick what they did to the kids or whatever they, to traumatize them, to, to get them to, to be cognitive and see into the future and sit in that chair and um, create things out of their um, cognitive memory of, of a different place and time and all this other stuff. They said they brought monsters back and all kinds of jazz. And it was a very perceptive, uh, perceptual experiment, a cognitive, um, precognitive experiment, you know. Um, so, so, yes, they, they were doing experiments um, with children, mostly perverted, by the way. Um, these, these people that are running some of these programs uh, are in it for that purpose. They're pedophiles or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, Stuart Swerdlow talked about the pedophilia that was going on at that time. You know, so, so the, these issues, the, the, these things, they think they can get energy from children by doing these things. It's sick. It's not necessary. And that's exactly the question. I like your question, Claudia, because that's exactly what people should be asking. Why children? Why are they experimenting on children? Because every, every child in a public school is being experimented on right now. It's a guarantee. Do you agree, then, that Andrew Bashago would be real in his claims uh, yes. that he was a child chrononaut? Absolutely. I see no, no reason to, uh, to not believe him. He's very accurate about what he's saying. Um, you know, it, it, where, where it stretches our perception or reality is when he says he's, he jumped through a jump room and went to Mars, you know, Yes, I believe that he perceived that he went to Mars. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No Absolutely. But, I mean, he makes some serious claims that he even traveled back in time to hand something to Abraham Lincoln. That's correct. Um, I talked to Andrew Bishago for a few hours on the phone about our experiences. You know, I said they showed me my own work when I was 15 years old. And he said, yes, they showed me a paper that I would... Um, that I would actually publish in the future. I said, yeah, that's, to me that's very strange. Did they, did they show it to us because we're, we're dyslexic and we have photographic memories and we were, we were going to do this anyway? Or, or is, see, the problem I'm having with that and, and the problem he has with that as well is um, the, the perception of each little even letter, you know, that, that he... Um, solidly remembers from back then and it's the same with these these lunar images and whatnot you know this stuff is really truly embedded in the image you know in a black and white way so it's it's something that that when i saw it when i was 15 in color um it's it's nothing that i would say okay i saw that before and that's why i'm seeing it now in a space image what purpose is there in that I can understand that, but according yeah. to Andrew, the reason why they used children in the time travel was because when they tried adults, the adults' bodies, because they they couldn't expand due to full growth, were basically vaporized or ripped apart on the transfer through time, so that's why they had to focus on using children at that time, because their yeah, bodies that, were that's bendable. that's what he told me too, yes. 
That's what he told me. And, you know, that, that makes sense to, um, in a lot of ways. You know, why, why would they use children for certain things, you know, like that? Um, uh, because um, their minds are not quite developed yet or whatever. So it, so it wouldn't be as traumatic like an adult has a preconceived idea in context, you know. So in, um, bombarding an adult with all of these, these new things all at once, you know, that, that, are, that are really hard to conceive can drive them crazy. It drives them mad, you know. Um, to a child, it's just like an imaginary friend. It doesn't matter. You know, they're open to any kind of wonder, you know. Do you think we can travel forward in time as well? Because I believe Andrew was also mentioning that we've only figured out how to go backwards in time. Yeah, I agree with him on that. I don't think that they figured out how to go forward, but I do believe that they can see it. So they, they've got their little black boxes or whatever technology they're using, um, whether that be a, a pattern recognition or whatever way that they're doing it, they can actually see the, the future um, in our three-dimensional reality. What's confusing them is that a lot of people are very morphogenic in their thought. They get ideas from the, from the air or, or you know, um, from space or whatever, and and they'll they'll make a movie or something like that in Hollywood, and you'll go, well, I thought of that three years ago, that exact same thing, you know. So a lot of this stuff is going on that that affects everyone, and that that complexity is what they can't really get a grip on, you know. The the wild card, the, these people that are breaking their programming and going off on another in another direction because these military people are relying on patterns i know that much about what the what kind of studies they're doing so they're trying to to harangue or um they're they're trying to corral our perception in a certain way and that might explain some of those um what would you say mandela effects yeah before we move on in topics here I do have to know, and some of our audience is actually curious, did you vote for Andrew Bashago? Um, no, because I, I knew, because of my experience, and I can see a little, little bit of a, the cognitive future, that he was spinning his wheels, but I knew he had to get started at least. He was never going to be a president, not this time. But it, at least he's, he started that process of, of you know formally going through the motions but no i i knew that he wasn't going to be president this year mm -hmm. let's move on here because one of the major pieces that we wanted to talk to you tonight about was the moon puzzles oh yeah when you were looking at structures and pictures and anomalies on the moon for a lot of us out there when we look at a photo, we may see craters, we may see shadows, we may see mountains, everything that we know is on the moon. We may not see the fine details. And I think where a lot of people get confused, such as myself, when we see what we look to be exorbitant claims of, say, pyramids on the moon, when realistically it just looks like a pointy mountain 
or something along those lines, or a shadow covering something up. How do you define the photos that you look for when you are looking for information? Um, well, the the, um, the the way I disseminate that or separate that is um, there there are the the physical geological structures on the moon. You know, whether whether that's natural or whether that looks like ruins, because that's all we can say really perceptually is that looks like a pyramid. That looks like ruins. But when I look at it as an artist, um, I'm looking at another level of perception with that image, um, sort of like looking at the 2D side of the um, 3D oblique type image and, and looking at the the fuzz, the the, the stuff that was captured, you know, from the filter or whatever the case may be, I'm I'm seeing um, um, very detailed classical like paintings and different um, themed ideas and whatnot within these these um, these layers. And the, for instance, you'll see a face, and then you'll see another face that's attached to the face, and then. But all these faces are themed. They're all about Perseus or they're all about Theseus or something like that. Um, the, so they're, they're very themed, and that's what makes me think that they were kind of thrown together because a computer would, would do something like that. A computer would take randomness of images and everything else, and they would try, and make, it would try to make sense of it, out of it in some AI way. So... So, um, something like that's going on with these lunar images. Um, it, most people they see they, they have a perception of light and shadow, so so they're looking at these things and they're like, well, that looks like a giant spaceship on the surface or whatever. Well, logically, that's you know that might seem ridiculous, but it could be actually a, a big giant spaceship on the surface that's obfuscated or whatever they do, um, because I, I know that they took all of these these images, compiled them together or whatever to make these textures, these very complex textures that they put over our initial space data, which is really low res and crappy. I mean, it's, it comes in dark. It comes in really, really low res, pixelated. So they, they completely enhance these images with CGI texturing and other things. So you, you can only imagine what they've, they've created as a surface to these surfaces, these top, uh, topographical surfaces. So there's no telling what you could perceive or see in these images, but it's the process that I find anomalous, not seeing a giant thing sticking up off the surface of the moon, which I've seen, you know. Um, you know Hoagland's thing where, you know, where he saw a spire or whatever. I think that's a, a, a very ge- geographical type feature of the moon. I think there, there are giant spires sticking up off the surface, you know. Um, I, I think it's natural or, or part of some kind of ancient ruins. So the you pictures... Know, so there's the, big things. The pictures that you were looking at then, mm-hmm. are you getting them from NASA's website? Are you getting them behind the scenes that people have emailed or mailed to you or handed off to you? Where are you getting the photos with these anomalies? Well, one of them, that's a good question. Um, uh, before I met Ken and Donna Hare, I, I didn't have any, any control images. You know, I, I didn't have any other source of images. 
um, be, before that, I, I was looking at NASA's just regular images that they put online. And one of the examples was the picture of the century that they, you know, made up for the Smithsonian. Um, the LOIRP, Lunar Orbiter Imagery Recovery Project, was working on that out in California. And they kept changing the picture with different um, obfuscations and different layers of texture, and, and I caught them doing this. So I saved a picture of each step that they did while they were doing it, you know, for example. So it, it really is, to me, the process that's quite anomalous. The, uh, the original one um, was very odd-looking because it had, it, it, um, as an artist, if I'm looking at this and I'm seeing hierophany or whatever you call it, pareidolia or this or that, um, I, I'm seeing this themed pareidolia or hierophany like, like there's a goat sitting on a ledge or something like that in this image, you know. And then by the time that they've, they've done obfuscated the whole thing or whatever, at the end of the process, the, the final product that they gave to the Smithsonian was so obfuscated that the, um, that, that the face of the goat guy that was sitting on the ledge or whatever was completely disintegrated, you know, and smudged into the, um, made it look like textured surface or whatever that was on the side of the hill. Isn't that strange? Very strange. And that's yeah. the way, you know, and that's the way a lot of people feel it is. So before, if we look at the photos that are coming from NASA, are you then saying that before they are put publicly, every picture is smudged or edited? Yes. Absolutely. It's completely debriefed. It goes through a debriefing process, and they, de they decide what they need to do with that particular image. So how or what happens to the originals then? Do they get burned? Do they still exist in some archive so that way we could, or they could document the different types yes, of ships? Mm-hmm. Yep, the raw data actually still exists. And it doesn't look like much, I'll tell you that. People think that they're going to look at a, a crystal clear, crisp, lunar image or something, you know, because the original must show everything. It's probably got giant buildings in it, and it might, but it's going to be low-res and very pixelated because the, the initial data that they got back from the, the modules, um, the orbiters and that, were really crappy, you know, really dark and pixelated. And these are not crystal clear images. So they, they really had to be quite worked, you know, with, with contrast and brightness and everything else just to get to see it. And then after they, they up the contrast and brightness, then they start texturizing it and making it look appealing, you know, to the mainstream public. One of the stories that uh, Ken told us was that he was at a private viewing of some film footage, mm -hmm. and it showed very clearly all this... Our, I borrow Hoagland's term, arcology. And then later on, he was to show that same film. You know, the next day, he was to show that film to the the next tier of employees or people in the project. And he was geared up and waiting to see this these structures. And it had been removed from the film. Right, yeah. He, he was, um, yeah, he's been telling that story for, for years about Dr. Thornton Page, and he showed the um, him and the rest of the scientists this this um, 16 millimeter 
film from from a um, data acquisition camera. Um, I know a lot more about it now than than Ken did then. You know, because I, I did a lot of investigation of what kind of camera they used and everything else. Um, the the 16 millimeter camera was a gun sequence type camera that um, was handheld by Edgar Mitchell. You know, where you where you squeeze the button and it's somewhat semi-automatic. You know, and it, it'll start recording whatever footage or whatever by squeezing a trigger. And th this is the exact camera that Ken describes. And he didn't even know that it was a Moyer camera. He had no idea about the camera at all, only that it was a gun sequence type camera. So I remember that, you mentioning one, that. Yeah, you bet. Um, so that's exactly what he showed those scientists. Um, it was a, a mock-up of the gun sequence type camera where, where he took the film out of there, um, put it on the, the special thing that they made, you know, where they could, you know, squeeze the trigger and it would, like, do a reverse project projection type thing. So he would show the film. Um, while he was showing this film, he, he saw domes and, and all kinds of jazz in there. He was like, wow. And he, he remembers Dr. Thornton Page saying, wow, what do you think of that, boys, you know? And they, they kind of giggled about it or whatever because these secret space guys or whatever already know that stuff. Oh, it's old news to them. Old news, yeah, from the 50s. Well, okay, we asked Ken this, and I'm going I'm to ask you. Supposedly, there is footage, some, or uh, somebody recorded this. Right. That, you know, one of the astronauts said, they're here. They're on the hill and they're watching us. On you can never the emergency channel stayed open. Now, was that was that uh, just one of those urban myth type things, or do you think that actually happened? And um, as a follow up, yeah. could a ham operator? have been able to listen in on that frequency. Yes, I believe that's incredibly possible. I, I, I've known a couple of ham operators that explain the process of moon bounce and all that. You know, so, so it's, it's very possible, scientifically, to have heard whatever um, was being transmitted from the moon because of moon bounce. Now, the, 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 this moon bounce was collected, you know, at Goddard and... Um, also a secret facility out in California. Now, they, this, the, these, um, these transmissions were um, basically, um, TRW was responsible for engineering that back channel. And so they heard everything. The, and the Apollo program. If that exists, somebody could take a Freedom of Information Act request and go to the National Archives and get it if they know what to ask for. So if it exists, it's in the National Archives. I, I already went through the process of, of trying to get the actual film that Edgar Mitchell took um, from Apollo 14 data acquisition camera, lunar module film, you know, of, um, from 1970 to 1972. You know, so I wanted to make sure I got it. Anyway, I'm in the process. I'm waiting for the National Archives to contact me and tell me whether they have that or not. So I, I specifically asked for it. 
something tells me that that's going to be one of those items that disappeared from the <laughs> from the National Archives. Right, right. Well, what I was told is that I was going to get it. Well, no kidding. The actual the the actual uh, voice yeah. file or a transcript. No, the actual film. The, the actual film. Thornton Page. Yes. Oh wow, that'll be amazing. Um, I, I'm not holding my breath. I'm with you on that. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you'll get the edited version. Yeah, or even the edited version as an artist, I'll know what's going on with that. Well, of course, yeah. Then it seems like okay. The moon it have they set this stuff up on the moon because it's a I don't know a an easy body to jump off from as far as you know the. The gravity is low. It gives them a good place to observe us. But if they need to, you know, run to another base or, you know, do something off, you know, extralunar, it doesn't take a lot of energy to get off the moon. I mean, it, the idea of this barren rock. Right, no. Uh, yeah, unless it's true. actually an artificial satellite, like some people said, that yeah, like a death rings star like a bell. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I don't I, I really don't know exactly what to believe about the moon or whatever, except for there's extraordinary evidence, you know, more than not, um, that, that there are beings on the moon, and that would be a, um, an incredibly strategic operation, at least for our military, to observe Earth. So are we talking Nordics? Are we talking Nazi Germany is on the moon? You know, it's possible. Hmm. Well, it's one of those things you can make up, you know, I'm not accusing it. I just want to say, you know, right. lately in the news, it's been, oh, well, the alternative news, it's things are going on in Antarctica. Right. It's, my contention is it's easy to make up crap like that because who can run down there on a moment's notice to verify it? It's not well, like I, I mean, say, you know. aliens land in Kokomo, Indiana. You know, yeah. you can verify that things I that mean, go can on. I be a little, yeah, I can be a little candid or whatever. There's, there's, um, there, there's a bunch of people out in Pine Gap and um, China Lake, and uh, these, these people do psychological perception things with the public. Like I said, you know, um, Corey Goods come out of that camp. David, um, Dave, not David, uh, yeah, David Wilcox has come out of that camp, you know, talking about Antarctica, there's ancient civilization stuff and all of this jazz or whatever. Yes, they want the public to perceive that and to go along that lines. Do I believe it? Hell no. Because those guys came from the, the Pine Gap Mind Control Program, China Lake, you know, all these different secret-based organizations. So, so to me, no, I don't believe them because they're trying to create a new religion, a new psychology, a new system. So I don't believe it. We'll just look at it for what it is. It's yeah. It's almost like they're trying to regurgitate the plot to "At the Mountains of Madness" by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> you know, the alien civilization buried in the ice. Right. With uh, now, there was always that kind of an urban myth rumor that there were actually 
and I don't know how they've launched them without being seen, but supposedly there was a couple more Apollo missions that weren't official. Oh, that, you mean the, um, 18, 19, and 20, like like 20 right. with the you know e, little EB and the spaceship and whatever, and they were, they, her eyes were glued together by sticks of wax, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, Dude, you know, very fake yeah. looking. Yeah, that one was bizarre. I, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, though, I, was I, there I a covert, think, yeah. were there some covert missions maybe in the Apollo, you know, that publicly... Uh, yeah. We stopped it, but there's still some things we're going to do covertly. Yes, I believe they've been going ever since. Exactly. And and I, I, I think alternative media-wise, that, that was put out to show in a recreation that things are going on like that on the moon. But, of course, the video's fake and whatever, but look at the concept. Look at the yeah. idea behind it. You know, I believe that's completely real. And I... Um, I have a friend, his name's Evan Chase, and he had something to do with that, um, um, investigating that video, and he knew the guy that made it, and he was a French artist, you know. So, yeah, this, yes, it was created for the public perception, but it was done on purpose because there's reality to it. There's an underlying reality to it. That was sort of my impression when I watched it. It's like, this isn't true, but it's, Maybe you know depicting something that is true, right? Do you think there's it? Okay, I'm in my fifties. Do you think in my lifetime this is going to spill out? I'm in my fifties too, and yes, I do. Okay, I I do. I just feel like here in the last couple years, it's been a snowball. You know, gaining momentum and mass as it rolls down the hill. That I just feel like this disclosure is coming. That, yeah, they, it's heavily controlled, as you can see, but it's coming through the alternative media. Yeah, what's what's keeping people uh, like China? They have their space program, or China's uh, good. China has a fake sp- space program, and I'll just say that publicly. And the reason why I say so that that it's you know, I'm not saying that they don't have a secret space program. They probably do, you know, along with us. Um, the, the thing is, is the, the, the public perception of their space program is entirely fabricated. They're using their, their lunar map that's supposed to be like the best in the world and very clear and everything. Their, their cool textured Chinese lunar map or whatever. I've never seen so much anime in my life, for one thing. But it, they, they actually literally took our old Clementine lunar map and made um, um, a texturized representation of that old Clementine naval map. That's exactly the same, the same lighting. Even though the Clementine map's darker, um, that's just a a bit of a a brightness issue, really, you know? Um, Contrast, brightness, that sort of thing. So what they did was they picked up the brightness and contrast and added all kinds of texture to that map. But the lighting is the same. The, the altitude of the actual image is exactly the same. In other words, the, the orbiter or whatever had to be in the exact same place to get that image, both the Clementine and the Chinese map image. So these are exactly the same. And here's where they screwed up. They said that they took those at different lunar phases. 
So, in other words, the sun, you know, shining on the moon. So if they took those at different times, I totally don't buy that because those are exactly identical to Clementine, um, the Clementine map and the Change 2 map and the Change 1 map, very similar to the same. So, yes, I believe that their, their programs are, their public perception program is um, a carbon copy of NASA's. Yeah, it looked like they had, you know, I would heard like, oh, look at the clever Chinese. They, they've developed this space program, and it looked to me like all they did is grabbed the old NASA Apollo technology and ran with it. Right. Are, you, are you, there, you want, yeah, is you there any nation funny? out there? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the, um, the, the father of rocketry, um, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, ironically, um, made a movie called, called The Cosmic Voyage in the 30s. And this Russian film is the exact plan. That it, I mean, to the T, it's exactly what NASA did to the public. Hmm. To the T. Is there a country out there you think, that, I mean, we, you've got China, India, there's, you know, the, the European Space Agency. Are any of these actually going to be credible credible contenders that might be able to blow lid off this or is it all just a you know and even spacex something private do you think that there's this disclosure is going to come from a national source or from a private source well the the if you notice the private ones are being blown up right and left the spacex rockets it's like you know it's like their target practice for the military really so, so yes, if they really do have um, an ulterior um, privatized, really, truly, you know, privately funded, you know, like like Haddon Industries or something from the Contact movie, um, if there really was something like that, uh, our secret government projects or whatever are going to destroy it. You think Bigelow's in with the government, or do you think he's more of the H.R. Haddon type of the outsider. Yeah, he's sort of the Haddon type. He, you know, wants to make hotels and space for rich people. But you don't think it extends any further than there's people who say he is connected with. Yeah, you know, he probably the, is. Well, he's connected to the elite families. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So if just seems like. All we need to do is get something, you know, a private satellite or something that can film the moon and bring back these images, and that's sort of the tipping point. Yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't take nothing more than a, you know, a phone camera that anyone has to blow the whole <laughs> to blow the whole doors off all this secrecy and. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of them letting it happen, really. Well, that would actually do it. That would pretty much collapse the whole petro, petrodollar, you know, the hydrocarbon-based economy. It, I mean, that's why I think they're putting electricities, you know, making it so complicated to run a car off electricity or hydrogen. Because once you have vehicles that can run on these mm-hmm. the, these methods. Yeah, and <laughs> other aspects of our technology um, archaic, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you can use you can use sunlight to hydrolyze water to create your own 
I mean, you're not, if these become accessible, people are going to generate their own electricity using solar panels, or they're going to use solar panels to hydrolyze water to make their own hydrogen to power. I mean, right then and there, you've eliminated everything. Yeah, right. you know, well, as far if you, as if you, the control yeah. structure. Yeah, absolutely. You've eliminated everything, and it, it, you know the the closer you get to the way things naturally work or nature, the more technological it is. As far as our three dimensional reality, the more you try to manhandle it and make it phallic or whatever, um, like rockets or this or that, the less technological it is in actuality. Because you, you don't need to work that hard to get to space, you know? Well, yeah, I've heard that there was a conference in which one of the Skunk Works people said, we have the technology to take E.T. home. Yes. Yeah, that was Ben Rich. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe it. We only got a couple minutes left with you tonight, Brent, and you're, we'll be back on the show with Ken... I believe in May, I'm just searching up the date here, on May 23rd, which is a Tuesday night, is information that you receive, does it come through quite often, or is this something you are continually searching for by talking to people and researching new photographs on a daily basis? Is this difficult to try and do what you are trying to uncover? Yeah, it is. It's... it's surprising, but I'm, I, I get most of my ideas or information out of um, the dreamscape, the whatever you call it, the morphogenic field that Rupert Sheldrake talked about. You know, I, I get my ideas from nature, and I'll, I'll go look this thing up or whatever, and lo and behold, my idea was correct. Okay, you know, whether it be you know cognitive uh, of like a past event or whatever, or the, uh, something that's going to happen in the future, or something that's geared toward it. Um, that's where I'm getting my ideas. And I believe that that, of course, is an extraterrestrial source, whether that be, you know, the magic genie in the sky or whatever, or literally beings or whatever that are feeding me this information. We only got about a minute left with you, my friend. I would love it if you could... Fill us in on where people can find all of your information on yourself, on Ken as well. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book that's going to come out very, very, very soon called Digital Moon. I'm working on getting all the commas right and everything. And that, that can be found on Shepard and Patrick. Shepard and Pat, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D and Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K dot com. And we'll, we'll have our information there um, really cool stories and investigations into deeper things. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. I, I, I run the Lunar Anomaly Research Society on Facebook. It's public. And you can find me on Facebook, um, Brett Collins Shepherd, on Facebook. Gentlemen, you hold on. i got to wrap this thing up. If you're listening on the terrestrial side of Spaced Out Radio, you hear Mr. Rod Bubblefoot Thaw. Our resident guitar god, he brings us in and takes us home every single night on Spaced Out Radio. Tomorrow night on the program, Frank Huguenard is going to be joining us, the science of the soul. We are going to have a very interesting 
conversation tomorrow night as we get into the spiritual side. Something sometimes I don't think we do too enough on this program. Remember, you can listen to our archives on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune in, iTunes, radioguide.fm, talk stream live and on Stitcher. Or if you want to hear the replay, just go to spacedoutradio.com and click on Listen Live. This show will repeat as soon as we are off the air. If you want to check out our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a lot of features on there for you, including the Encounter Online, our brand new news source that we are efforting to make high quality and standard journalism for you. And if you head on over to patreon.com, you can donate at least $1 a month to become a Spaced Out Radio patron. We will talk to you in exactly 21 hours from now. I am your host, Dave Scott. I was joined by Eric Markham tonight and Brett Colin Shepard, our guest. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate your time. I will see you tomorrow night. Thanks so much for tuning us in. Do us a favor. Tell a friend because that's how we're going to grow this. That's how we're going to take over the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, take us home.